never have any prep obviously people already know who's on because of the thumbnail but i was thinking about this doing a little bit more research into your background it's so funny because we always often ask people who are in the audio world you know our regular type of guest how you got into the industry and i feel like you and i had very similar paths but they went in the opposite direction so <laughs> if i know correctly you started out in home theater at tweeter yeah, yeah, I was at, I was at Villanova getting my engineering degree, and um, I flunked the course, and so I had to stay for the summer in Philly, and um, and so I got a job at you know the King of Prussia Tweeter. It was Bryn Mawr Stereo at the time, and then they changed the name to Tweeter, and Tweeter had owned it, but they hadn't changed the name, and uh, so I started selling car stereo on the main line. It was so cool. It's like the coolest thing ever. It's, it's, what what year is this? So that was nineteen ninety nine. So guess what my first job was? You were a car stereo installer at a Twitter? I was a car detailer. And oh, we, oh, we I got went it. in the complete opposite path. Funny. <laughs> I love it. Funny. it. It's funny how this industry, you know, I got into detailing because it was the first cool job I could have doing cars, where at the time I was too mm -hmm. young to, I think, do anything professionally with a, a physical store. At that point in time, mm, yeah. people didn't really hire I was probably 15 when I started. I don't even know how I got around, yeah. but I was a mobile detailer yeah. and it was a cool job because I got to meet super enthusiasts, but then there's also some really shady situations in which I did not want to be a car detailer anymore. Yeah, well, just to clarify for the audience, I don't, I don't detail anybody else's car. Right. Um, so I've gotten into the, uh, the curation of products and I only take care of my own cars. And then, of course, YouTube became a thing. We can tell the whole story if you yeah, like. Yeah, we'll um, but yeah, so really cool. So you started out, you're in, at Tweeter. What made you get into the world of Tweeter? So, you know, as most, like maybe not most, but as some young men, I loved cars. I loved subs. I loved, you know, I loved bass. I was a, uh, I was a big Wu-Tang fan. And, um, so I was listening to like junior mafia and notorious B I G. And so I was, you know, it was in a, a white kid in an only white town. Who, so you, you know, and we loved rap. Like that was the Renaissance of the, you know, the early nineties and like 93, mm -hmm. 94. So I was a skateboarder mm -hmm. and I loved rap. And so naturally I wanted everybody else to hear it in the neighborhood. And so I chop my back seats out and, and, and I would get JNR Music World. I would get Crutchfield. I would get you know all the catalogs, and I would just dream of man if I could just get this or that. And then it was I think it was Northeast Power and Light was my local stereo shop, and you'd go in there as a sixteen or seventeen year old and kind of dream about buying some Eclipse stuff or some Alpine F one back in the day, stuff like that. And so it was a natural thing when I, uh, when I went to Villanova, I, um, I didn't have a job for the first two years. So I would come back in between semesters 
and just work odd jobs, work at like the post office. I was a casual carrier one summer. Um, I um, also worked for an electrical contractor where I'd like sort the dumpster so you could fit more junk in it and, you know, stuff like that. You know, $5, $8, $9 an hour jobs. And and my sophomore year of college, I flunked fundamentals fundamentals of electrical engineering one. And I'm a poor kid from from northeastern PA. It wasn't an option to take like an extra semester, extra year at Villanova. So I had to stay the summer to get back on track. Because then, as an engineer, you don't have extra mm-hmm. credit. You know, like you don't have extra credit hours available. Like you're stacked from start to finish all the way through your through your through your time at school. And so I stayed and I applied to Valley Total Fitness Tower Records which still existed then. It's making me sound I'm, sorry, I'm like a real adult now. And then, um, and then Bryn Marsterio, just, I had a nice resume. It said, you know, electrical engineering student to Villanova and then all my background of being a janitor and all this stuff. And um, I, I, I got a job as a floor trainer, basically means you wipe down machines at Bally Total Fitness. I took the job there. And then the guy at Bryn Marsterio called me, the manager said, hey, before you go into work, come in. We want to talk to you. I was like, nah, I, I already committed. He's like, no, I'm telling you, come, we want to talk to you. So I went in and, um, and they, and they handed me the catalog, like the tweeter catalog and said, what do you know about the car stereo stuff? So my background of wanting mm-hmm, to buy all this mm-hmm. crap, hanging around the stereo shop, chopping my backseat out, doing some janky stuff. Um, I knew model numbers. I knew, you know, metric kit numbers. I knew everything. You know, I just started rattling off. I probably knew more than the guy that was interviewing me. And, um, and so they said, look, we don't, we don't need a, a full-time car salesman. We need someone to take care of the stock room and then just do some part-time car share sales. So we'll pay you, I think it was eight bucks an hour to work in the, in the, in the stock room. And then you'll do car stereo part-time you get commission. Mm-hmm. But I had no concept what commission meant. I didn't know what that meant. Um, my first job was four twenty-five an hour. I was a, was a cart pusher for Walmart for five fifteen an hour. That was a big deal. So this is when minimum wage was you know four and a quarter. The only raises I'd gotten was when minimum wage went up, and I made nine bucks an hour as a casual carrier. So I'm like, sweet, eight bucks an hour, and I get to touch TVs and and Alpine and Eclipse head units and Boston acoustic speakers and all this stuff. I was like, this is sweet. I'm in. I called Bally, said, look, I'm sorry, but I got like this dream job. And the first day they put me on the floor and I'm just, I just never understood. We can talk about the laziness of most salespeople, but um, I I was studying, Mm -hmm. preparing. I didn't study in engineering school, clearly. I flunked Mm -hmm. the course, but I was studying this because I freaking love this stuff more than I could explain. I wanted to buy it all. And so I went into there. There was a high end room and a low end room. So I was in the high end room just memorizing. I wanted to memorize all the different head unit specs on like hour one, day one. Guy walks in the store. He has a Jeep Grand Cherokee. So it's a 99 Jeep Grand Cherokee, brand new. And he said, you know, I got this car. You know, what, what, what would you get? So I told him. It was like, I'm never free. It was like Boston 6.5 Pros, an extant amp um, that rarely worked. But man, when they did, they sounded great. Um, it was, uh, you know, they were shiny. Oh, uh, yeah. Because you'd get dust in it and it would explode. Right. And um, and so it was like it was like forty five hundred dollars. Right. A JLW3s and a custom box and the whole thing. I just told them what I would want to buy. And I just kind of started walking away. He's like, all right, I'll take it. I was like, all right, cool. So I went out to the guy, you know, who was the manager of the car share thing. I said, hey, here, and I rattled off, here's what he needs. And I grabbed the metric kit and I, I knew all this crap like day one, hour one, because 
I loved it. I lived it, loved it. And um, what I didn't know is that you made 16% of the profit. And of course, car stereo at the time had, you know, roughly 45 to 50% margin. So take 4,500 bucks, that's 2250. I make 16% of that. So what is that? 300 something dollars. You want to talk about a freaking awakening, right? right. <laughs> like awakening a dragon. Like I had no idea that that was possible. Like I just made like 400 bucks in 10 seconds sharing what I love and there's no cap. So the manager comes up to me, like the store manager says, what's going on here? And I said, I don't know. I told this guy what I wanted to buy and he bought it. And so the other guy's all ticked off because he's typing in the, the mm. ticket because I didn't even have a, a like a login code yet or a, what a rep number. And he says, all right, we're going to get somebody else to do the stock room. You're going to sell. And so by the end of that year, I was like number three in the tri-state area of car stereo sales or something like that. And I'm making 50, 60 grand selling stuff. So went from, I don't think I made any more than 5,000 bucks in a year in my life, working 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, part-time, double part-time jobs to this awakening of just pure bliss. And so that's, that's how I got into this, this car stereo world of chasing, you know, chasing what I loved. And then I was introduced to the idea of you could take your passion and make a living at it. I was like, man, I don't ever want to do anything but this kind of life. Yeah, I think this I think Twitter was the first place that I worked at where I realized that I could make a career out of car audio. My first job was actually Circuit City in Orlando, Florida, Alafaya yep. Trail when they opened. I was there opening the store. Ah. And uh, I worked there for about two years while I while I was at UTI in Orlando, Florida. But after that, I moved back to Maryland, which is where I grew up, and worked for Tweeter in Owings Mills, Maryland. And that was the first place. Mm -hmm. It was a pretty affluent place. Uh, it, was a, it was a good yep. store. And it was the first place you would see people who actually had money coming in to buy car stereo, right? So I got to do a little yep. bit more than, you know, stuff at Circuit City in Orlando, where it was just all yep. over the place what I was doing there. But... uh you could one make decent money two i was selling high-end product on almost everything that i did i became my own salesman you know that's kind of like where i learned sales and learned how to talk to clients and that's kind of where that passion of mine came into place because much like you that client is always going to find you right you can do really high-end stuff and that client is always going to find you right based on your passion and your knowledge and people crave that and that you've made a business you've made an empire out of that that whole business model of mm -hmm. people not wanting to do the research in a, in a sense where they're getting in the minutia of everything and they don't know what to pick this versus that and they would just want somebody educated to tell them what to buy much like you said your first client where it's like what would you do right and you're just like this is yep. exactly what i would do if you know what you're talking about if you're passionate people are going to trust you. And then obviously you got to perform and have the results to back that up. And then that's what accelerates sure. it to the next level. But kind of like you were alluding to, that's kind of same ordeal that I saw at Twitter where I knew this is something that could be a profession. It was such a genius model and that you, and, and it, it was always so fascinating to me that the, these, the people that generally worked there were just 
freaking idiots, man. Yeah, like, it had like you it had, had this, forty year old like, virgin vibes. You know that that store they worked at at forty year old yeah. virgin. It was like the same store, right? There were some really 100%. smart people, but then there was just some really just stoner burnouts. Well, there was always a guy like you or me. There was a guy like you or me that were punching above right, our belt. Right. That were you know, some young guy that was way smarter than everybody else. I'm not tooting my own or like horn. Like these people just aren't right. smart. And so here I am, Villanova engineering student, you know, top, top 10 university type thing. And, and, and so I was the dumbest kid at Villanova, but now in this world, I'm the smartest mm -hmm, guy. And mm -hmm. so I, you know, I went to like tweeters training, which changed my life. I mean, they taught us feature advantage yeah, benefit, cool. right? Top yeah. down selling. So you would sell, you would start at the top product and work your way down and you would sort of, and, and you'd put on a show, you know, you teach people what the options were and chances are they were going to buy something that was say two steps from base and, and they end up buying something three steps from top. And it just, just made sense because you would, you would sort of show them the value you'd talk about the features, what advantage did it have and what benefit did it have to them? So it's the old Xerox training platform. So it was immeasurably value in my life because when I got there, I was an engineer, right? I was a typical introvert engineer. I wanted to be this like stoic guy working on circuit boards and stuff and, and or computers or whatever. And um, I had no idea that I was sort of destined to be this selective extroverted salesman, you know, this salesperson, but a type C salesman, not a type A salesman. You know, there's many different types of people that can be successful, successful at selling stuff. But I'd always hated the whole, you know, the, the usually the best sales guys didn't know anything about the mm -hmm. stuff, right? They would just do people into buying whatever paid them the biggest spiff. Mm -hmm. um, and same thing in every, like when I went into finance, same thing. The best guys, the guys that made the most money were always the shadiest, yeah. right? They were always the ones that were the slickest, they, but they had the relationship thing down. I didn't have the relationship. I didn't want the relationship. I just wanted to tell you what I'd learned that day. Uh, and that has real power in the world. You know, it has real power to a certain niche of people that just so happened to become really the best type of customers. Yeah. You know, those were definitely the golden days. And it's a shame Twitter shut down. And that's kind of like when I started migrating mm -hmm. and trying to figure out where to go. And that's how I started bouncing around different states to try and find a job. Cause I was there as Twitter fell, right? So I was still there. Yeah, they started yeah. laying people off. I kind of saw the writing on the wall. And then that's when I started migrating from Maryland to Virginia. And this is after I moved back from Orlando. Cause again, I went there at UTI mm -hmm. and then bounced from Maryland to Virginia where I started, I was in Loudoun County, Virginia, which is one of the wealthiest counties mm -hmm. in America. And at the time, I mean, obviously the government still gets paid. So it's recession proof, right? <laughs> and still doing high end stuff. And I was there for quite some time, but uh, what brought you out of Twitter to, I think your next job was Merrill Lynch? Yeah, so I was, um, two things happened at once. Uh, one, I was accused of stealing. So um, in back in Philadelphia, before you know, I had I had a standing offer to my friends. Remember, it was 10 up or 20 up. 10 up for you as an employee, 20 up, so we're saying, you know, 20% above cost. Uh, and so 20 up was my standing offer to my friends. Hey, I'll do the work. I'll design the system for you if you want a stereo or whatever. And so I did a 20 up system for one of my buddies and it was an Audi TT, which was new at the time. And the installers are complaining about they didn't get enough labor. And so I said, you know what? I'll eat my commission. I backed it out to 10 up. Uh, and they, I, I didn't remember all the particulars. I mean, I sold 
millions and millions of dollars of stuff. But I it was, it was something like they put like some some four gauge cable in it and I'd only charge for eight gauge. They just use some scrap, you know, in the mm-hmm. shop to try to save some money so they I could put some more labor on the ticket to help us offset the extra time it took to, to work on the Audi. And so like a year and a half later, I'm in Orlando. So when I graduated from Villanova, I packed my crap and I wanted to move to Orlando. And so I um I, I I walked into the you know the the store uh, the Sand Lake store by the you know by the Florida Mall and uh, which served Isleworth and all the you know wealthy areas of Orlando and I was in Home Audio at the time because Home was much more efficient you could sell a lot more stuff make a lot more money and so I loved them both um, but Home just made more sense as I as I as when I graduated from Villanova. I didn't want to be an engineer. I was making like a hundred grand selling. I'm mean, like a top, you know, top tier, top 10 salesman in the company. So I don't want to, I don't want to leave this and I want to see where it would take me. So when I moved to Orlando, I'm there and I'm there for maybe a year or so or something like that, six, six, six months. And they pulled me into a room and got the lights out, like the old, you know, interrogation technique, head of shrink Ross comes uh, by the way, Ross is my inspiration for 9-11s. He always had a 9-11 somehow. The guy that's in charge of theft was the guy, the only guy who made any money at the company. <laughs> and so he um, he's there grilling me. They're trying to catch me in a lie. And I'm like, I don't remember every single sale. And so they sent me home and there was like a, there was a, now I'm like the, I had a key to the store. I was the guy that, you know, that closed out the register mm-hmm. every day because I was the best at math. Mm-hmm. I mean, like they could have trusted me with their lives and yet they're accusing me of stealing. And so they sent me home and they were gonna make a decision whether I was going to get arrested or they were gonna let me off the hook. Now this is over like 80 bucks, it was like $82 or something like that. And so um, they're dead to me, right? And what, and what year was this? What year was this? So this was 2003. Okay. So I was like five years into, mm-hmm. into that path. And so I graduated in 02 from Villanova, 03, I'm in, I'm in, I moved in August of 02 to Orlando. So 03 is right around the time that I get accused of stealing. Right around that time, a guy came in my store and I sold him a home theater. I sold him a TV. Um, this was when like LCD was first coming out and I tried to talk him out of the LCD and he really appreciated the fact that I was honest that even though it was an $8,000 42-inch, I think it maybe was a 37-inch Sharp was the first LCD that had come out and a flat panel LCD. And um, I, I, he ended up buying that and buying some other stuff. And he said, um, you know, I'd really love for you to come and work for me. I work for Merrill Lynch. And so remember we had same as cash financing. Remember those days, mm-hmm. it was like 12 months. We had like 24 months, same as cash financing. And if you remember the credit app, it was like GE Capital or something like that. In the bottom right-hand corner, you had to write what your income was as the as the app you know on the application, and it you, he didn't circle month or year because you could do it monthly or yearly, and so I had to ask him. I said, "Is that per month or per year?" And he said, "That's per month." I said, "Oh, okay." So I took his card. I get accused of stealing. I call him. Took me 13 interviews to get a job at Merrill Lynch because I looked like I was 12. Um, um, every time I went, I, I sort of, I think I did a good job in the interview, but I looked like I was, uh, they called me Opie Taylor. Um, now I didn't know who Opie Taylor was at the time. And then I think the thing that finally got me the job was that I said, you know, you guys keep calling me Opie Taylor. Opie Taylor's Ron Howard. He's a pretty successful dude, so you should probably give me a shot. Uh, and so I, 
right before. So this is before the demise in 04. I think when Twitter went out of business, what, late 05, mm-hmm. something like that, early 06. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I left in, in late 04 uh, to go be a financial advisor. And Lynch. you know what's funny is when Twitter went out of business, like I said, that time it was kind of like the pits of the recession. Everything was kind of crashing in. And I was having the hardest time to try and find a job. And I didn't want to leave where I lived. And my dad worked for T. Rowe Price, right? So mm-hmm. he almost got me a job at T. Rowe Price. We were, close. <laughs> so we were yeah. very close to staying on that same path. So I kept thinking, you know, I need to get a real job, right? Right. Right. Passion, you know, it's too young and stupid. You know, passion is not a real job. You know, I didn't need to go to Villanova to get this job selling stereos. So I always kind of looked down on my path. Like I was just following my path. You know, all my buddies have still have crappy jobs doing some, you know, they have great jobs, quote unquote, like, you know, great, Mm -hmm. the American dream of an engineer at Lockheed Martin making 110,000 bucks. But to me, you know, especially now that I know I'm an entrepreneur, you know, I, I, I'm so glad that I've taken the the, the wrong job, oh, yeah, not yeah. real job. That's what makes you learn you know, everything but, along the way. But I did leave the happy to chase the money. Mm-hmm. Now, it wasn't immediate money. So when I went to Merrill Lynch, I went from making, I was like, I think I was on track to make 110000 bucks that year at, 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 at Sound Advice. And um, I had to take a salary of $39,999. So I took a 60% pay cut to go to Merrill Lynch with no, and, and by the way, that, that $39,000 goes away in 24 months and you're at zero. So you, you, you eat what you kill, you, you eat what you, you know, what, what you get, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. And so if I look back and, and think about the progression of my life and that I had regular jobs working for right re- or the man, if you will. And then the next evolution toward working toward entrepreneurship is to work for a company where you're commission based. But remember, we weren't responsible at Twitter for the customers. The customers just walked out the door so that you got the customer. And so that's why you're compensated okay, but not really well. You're getting paid a small percentage of the profit. Uh, And then the next step was Merrill Lynch, where they have a platform, but there's no one walking in the door. So they give you a desk, a phone. And then they don't even give you a phone book. You got to go get your own phone book. You got to figure out. So it's very rare. The reason it took 12 or 13 interviews to get the job is it's very rare for a young man to make it in that world. You know, the only people that have money are generally older people and older people don't trust young men and rightfully so. Uh, And so it was, it was, it's very rare for, you know, there's like a 90% attrition rate from the training program and then even a higher, probably 99% attrition rate for people under the age of 35. And I was 24, you know, 23, starting to try to get the job, finally got the job at 24. Uh, and then they give you a desk and a phone and say, figure it out. But it's that next evolutionary step in creating something from scratch and that you're, you're kind of building a business right but you're building it inside of an architecture, mm-hmm. you know, whereas Twitter, not, you're just taking ups, you're taking leads, you know, you're taking customers that walk in the door. You may start to develop a customer base that, you know, and develop some right, loyalty right, with your right. customer base. In general, they're doing all the work to do the marketing, the advertising, mm-hmm. the sending out, you know, advertising in the newspaper, all that stuff on TV, to get customers in. Merrill Lynch isn't doing any of that, but Merrill Lynch was a quote unquote real right. job. Right. 
I don't know anything about money, right? I had to ask like a friend, like you know, when the tweeter had a 401k, like, what do I, what is this thing? What do I do with this? You know, I, I was, I, it's unbelievable how naive I was, especially as particular, even as a young man, I was very mature for my age, but I, I just didn't have much of an interest in, in that stuff, you know, in 401k or IRAs or anything like that. But I'd actually accumulated a decent amount of money. I think I'd rolled over like 30 or 40 grand that I'd accumulated in the Twitter 401k when I, when I made the transition over to Merrill Lynch. So I, I was contributing to it. I didn't know much about it. Um, but so I went into the financial world very differently. It wasn't like getting hired at Twitter where I was already in the know. Right. And that was part of what intrigued me is that there's this whole new thing. Cause I'd kind of, I'm like, I memorized 90% of the, the 16 digit SKUs on the monster tables. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what was a uh, component video kit was like five, zero, six, four, four, two, three, something, six, one, eight or something like that. So I'd memorized all of the numbers. So I, you know, I, I didn't have to like go to the, go to the back and look at the, you know, the monster cable skew. Um, and so now I'm in this new world where I don't know anything. I didn't study it. I didn't have a business course in school. And so I didn't study in engineering school. I studied at Twitter. Now I get to study something that I know nothing about that is really interesting to me. But it's the same concept. You're taking a technical product, mm-hmm. a mutual fund, an ETF, mm-hmm. stock, a, you know, some sort of insurance garbage or something, and, and, and taking that technical topic, putting some pieces together to build a system, uh, and then attempting to explain that to somebody who doesn't know any better. And the magic of this transition is that that guy who came in my store became my first real life mentor, mm-hmm. you know, the first like model that I could follow and I could replicate. And and so he sort of led me down a path to, to be successful in that gig. That's cool. So at what point are you transitioning from Merrill Lynch to what will become Obsessed Garage? Many, many years later. So um, 2014. How long are you at Merrill Lynch? So I was there for 13 okay. years. I guess technically 11 and then two years at Raymond James, but you know, same yeah, career. Yeah, I just, yeah. I, sw- I switched firms. So 2014, we have our second child. Well, Michelle has our second child. I happen to be there, you know, and um, I hate it when they say we are pregnant. That's freaking nonsense. <laughs> you know, I have nothing to do with that. You know, So, so, uh, I'm, um, I have this struggle, um, and I didn't know I had obsessive compulsive disorder at the time. I, I, I had this struggle when I, I, I have this trigger, when I go to the doctor, I pass out. Uh, and so it was always this joke. I used to be super fit and like, you know, I'm a hairline straight, you know, I was an athlete I played volleyball when I was at Villanova and, um, this continued to play all throughout adulthood, playing all different types of sports. And so it was always this joke, the big, strong mat, you know, fault can't handle a needle mm-hmm. and he passes out. But it's like a you die and come back, so it's pretty traumatic. And so in 2014, um, the first uh, I pass out in the stupid delivery room. I shouldn't even have been in there. I almost and, passed um, out too. And then the, the first time you see a child being born, it's kind of a show. Like I was just not experienced. Yeah. I'm sitting in the corner. I'm I'm sitting in the corner. I can't see anything. There's a blanket on me, and I'm out cold. So uh, and I'm out cold when they get her to the epidural. Yeah. So, you know, that's how bad I am, you know. So anyway, so the, a week later, I almost pass out in a store. And so it was the first time in my life where um, I almost passed out somewhere outside of the doctor's office. Something in my brain broke. Uh, and then I went, entered like an infinite anxiety loop. Now, 
I was the senior resident director, so I was managing the market for Merrill Lynch. I had, you know, 300 clients or so managing $300 million. I got two partners. I've got, you know, 15 employees I'm responsible for. But yet I was in, I was the one that was in control of everything. I wouldn't let anybody help me. I thought I was awesome. I thought I was the man. And so I'd taken on all this weight combined with this introduction of anxiety and my freaking world exploded. Like I couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, couldn't function. Uh, and so I had to figure out how the heck am I going to get out of this before I would have scoffed at the idea of, you know, what can't you just reason out of this you idiots? What do you need to go to a psychiatrist for? That's crazy. You're stupid. That's that was me before this humbling. Uh, and so I melt down, I get to this, this goofy psychiatrist and he gets, puts me on some Prozac and, um, and then that Prozac makes me lose like my athletic like I, it changes my physiology mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. the chubby old man you see today is because of that crap. So they put me on this, on this happy pills, but I was open to suggestion for the first time in my life. I didn't know anything anymore. Everything I thought I knew was wrong. And so I went and met this goofy therapist and we came to the conclusion I need to make some friends. I had a 9-11 at the time, a Carrera, a Carrera S. I was getting a, you know, getting a GT3. It was on order. Um, I had a, um, an F80 M3 that was coming. Uh, I had an E92 M3 at the time. And so I had these great cars, but in Merrill Lynch, you're taught not to show that to anybody or share it with anybody. And so he came to the conclusion, you need to let people know who you are and let some people in. And I think he meant like meet your neighbor. Yeah. I got a spreadsheet out and tried to make the most of me. What's the most efficient way to meet the most amount of people possible? So I went on the forums Mm -hmm. and started journaling. I always wanted somebody to do this, to journal every detail of the car, every, you know, radar detector, car stereo, every part and piece, how they washed it, how they detailed it. And so I went on Renlist and M3 post uh, because I got a launch F80 M3 and I got the very first 991.1 GT3. Uh, It was Sapphire Blue. And I started sharing those two cars, which were really in vogue at the time. And that was my way to to get out of my head, let some people in. And uh, it really did work. I mean, it really did help me kind of get back to, to, to baseline in that I was writing every night. I would take photos. I would write descriptions. Uh, and then somebody said, you know, it'd be a lot better if you made a video of this of sharing how I wash a car. Uh, and I said, you know, that's not a bad idea. So I set up my camera and just started talking to it. That the, the first video was like, you know, two hours long or something unedited. It's out of focus. Can't hear it. Can't, can't hear what I'm saying every time I turn my head this way and uh, left to right. And um, and that's how Obsessed Garage was born. I mean, I didn't know it was Obsessed Garage. It was just the Matt Mormon YouTube yeah. channel. And um, I very quickly garnered some this attention that I'd never had before. Uh, but it was other people um, sort of it was like my story was resonating with others. Mm-hmm. I wasn't talking about obsessive also disorder. I wasn't talking about my struggles. I was just talking about what I loved that I wasn't allowed to at Merrill Lynch because they, you know, they told you don't don't show mm-hmm. people that you're too successful. Mm-hmm. So I just started letting others in and it, you know, and that's how this whole thing started, this sharing experience. It's, it's so funny too, because like you were talking about your first video, my first YouTube video ever is my most successful. And it's because a buddy said, Hey, <laughs> you should show people how to do this. Right. And it would, it's a video yeah. that is how to hand lay carbon fiber. Right. And it's like you said, yep. out of focus, the audio is horrific. You can barely even comprehend <laughs> the steps based on how it was laid out. 
but it was good enough to to be a outline of how to do it right and that video out mm -hmm. of all the cool shit that i've done to date i mean that trounces anything that i've ever put out right that video has <laughs> i don't know like six or seven million views something like that yeah. and all the other it's stuff crazy. is just a pittance <laughs> compared to that just yep. one yep. random video it's crazy i don't have a single video over like six hundred thousand views out of the thousand i made three or four thousand videos not it's just you never know what's going to hit you know what hits and gets in the algorithm and takes off and apparently yeah. nothing i ever do is going to ever hit but you know one of these days it'd be nice well you know, it, you know it, it, it's funny and you know this is kind of fast forwarding to where we're at today but we'll go back to your storyline but just like i've come to realize that the most simplistic things that I post, the most relatable things that I post get the most engagement. It's for yep. you, like I said, how to wash a car or just something that you just, it's second nature. You don't even think that that needs attention, but it's the most simplistic title. The most simplistic task is getting the most attention because on the grand scheme of things, that's what a lot of people are searching out that either don't know or they're just getting into it or whatever it may be that gets the most attention. Even still for me today, mm -hmm. I can post a picture of a full build of a just a trunk that's gorgeous and elaborate and dimensional, but then I can post a picture of like a just an acrylic speaker adapter. And it seems like that does <laughs> far better than anything else that's more extreme. It's funny you mentioned the first thing that popped in my head when you said something about it, you make it simple for, for, for people to understand. And this is this is like the double edged sword with me. I don't post anything for anybody else ever. It's for mm -hmm. me. It goes back to the whole thing started. I had no agenda. I wasn't. I didn't have like grand plan. Like I'm gonna do right, this right. business. I didn't know I was an entrepreneur. Still, you were trying to answer um, your own questions, um, right? Making content. Yeah, for I was just trying to get out of my own head, yeah. you know. And then I'm like, I just want to, just want to share something. And this is what I know. I didn't know I was, you know, this this like preeminent car washing guy. I didn't know that was a thing. You know, I didn't know that could be a thing because your detailers are certainly really great paint correction people, but in the car and washing cars, I cared more about washing than anything. Cause to me, washing was the thing that prevented the need to detail. Uh, and so detailing was a, you know, was a, was a result of me wanting to be able to wash the car better. Uh, and so I had no concept, I had no idea that one, anyone would care. I didn't care that anybody cared. I just wanted to just talk, just stop taking it all in on my own. And so, and I continue that thesis today. And that's part of the reason why that, you know, that, that me sharing what I want to say is not broadly appealing. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm okay with that, you know, because the people that do get it, they understand that, you know, we can have a real relationship instead of this like TikTok transaction that, you know, people are pursuing mm -hmm. to try to get as you know, many nonsense views as possible. I uh, mean, I think that the, 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 the way that I've done it is quite a bit different, but the thesis, the general thesis has been, you know, if there's something that I'm interested in and if I, I can, I, I can at least share it in a digestible way that the right people will see it. And having the right people see it helps keep the nonsense out of your life, which right. to me has been really satisfying. Right. So would you say that what started, I guess, your evolution into Obsessed Garage was you configuring this just absurd, silly, high engineered pressure washer? No. Um, or did it start before that? So what happened is, what happened is, I, you know, I started to g gain some traction and 
I was doing it at, at, at so Merrill Lynch, so this is 2014 and 2015, um, after I transitioned from doing just the journals to really, you know, focusing on YouTube and making videos. Um, I um I was getting asked so many, so much like people wanted me to put links to all the stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want freaking time for that. You know, I was making like five hundred grand at Merrill Lynch, and I'm like, I don't I can't be wasting too much time on this. My wife is giving me a hard time because I'm always taking photos and editing all night. Mm-hmm. And so everybody in my life is like, you shouldn't be sharing that because you're showing off and all this stuff. So everybody's telling me, no, 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 don't do this. But I thought that this could be a way that I didn't have to do. I was doing wine tastings. I don't drink ever. I've never had a drink in my life. I was doing golf seminars. I've never played a round of golf. I have no interest in <laughs> golf in my life. So I'm hosting like a pro and then, you know, wearing a suit yeah. and and trying to convince people to become clients. And um, and so I'm doing these things and I'm like, this is amazing. I think I have maybe five, five or six thousand subscribers. I'm like, you know, I bet you there's a good percentage of those five thousand people watching me that would really want me managing their money. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a freaking crazy. I'm the person. I was the person you wanted to manage your money. I'm telling you, I was really freaking good at that. Not at the the schmoozing and the financial advisor part of it, but the structure of organizing your portfolio. You wanted me to do that for mm-hmm. you. Not ideas like I wasn't a good stock picker or anything like that, but like structuring the portfolio and getting you know the returns you needed to get to hit the goals you're gonna want to hit. I was the guy, and so I thought that what eventually became the Sess Garage, I thought this was a conduit for me to not have to do freaking golf lessons any, ever again. <laughs> right? I thought that that's what it was. So this whole 2014, it was probably mid-2015 when I started to gain some traction. So 15, 16, um, those two years, the whole point of it, I thought, this is what I was telling myself, the justification for all the time I was spending editing and, and then taking pictures of products and things like that uh, and sending links to like the Krenzel pressure washer on Amazon. The whole point of that was to show people I was really smart. So maybe they would let me manage their money. I, I was trying to figure out how could I how could I do that? The problem is people thought I was a car detailer mm-hmm. and they couldn't figure out, like, how's a car detailer? I have like two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of cars. You know, especially back then, because there weren't really any like high end shops really at the time, maybe one or two in the world. Um, the, the coatings hadn't taken off yet. Paint correction was a thing, but not really a thing. Uh, and so, you know, detailing has changed you know, tremendously over the last few years. So so I just thought this is a bridge for me to connect who I am to the people that should be hiring me to manage their money so that I never have to market again. I can just share what I love and then people would then let me manage their money. I thought that's that, that was the plan. And so the reason I started retailing, I called them, I was buying everything from Detailers Domain, you know, that I could. And Detailers Domain is in New Jersey and uh, Phil was the owner of Detailers Domain and I um, I called them, he didn't know who I was, but I called them, I had maybe six or 7,000 subscribers and I called them, so this is, probably, um, this is like mid 2016. And I said, um, Hey man, you know, I think I'm on to something here. Would you like to partner? Like I'll send everybody to you and maybe we like split the margin or something, you know, we split it or something like that. I don't really want to be shipping. I don't want to be retailing. I don't want to be packing. And he told me, Matt, there's, there are no margins in this. There's no margin available. I'm happy for the links, but 
it, so I'm thinking, you know, I'm making 500 grand, 600 grand, something like that at Merrill Lynch. I'm like, well, if there's no margin, I don't want to waste my time. So I was sending everybody. Uh, so, I, so I built obsessgarage.com. So I had to create a name. And so I call it obsessgarage.com. I built the website. My buddy at church set me up on WordPress. He made the hex logo for me. I need to get him to sign an NDA. Someday he's going to come sue me when that's worth you know a billion dollars. <laughs> but he uh, he made that for me. Set up the site. Said here you go. And so I set up the site so that way I didn't have to link products in the video. I could just put one link, one link to the Obsessed Garage page. And it wasn't me retailing anything. It was just a WordPress like blog. Here's the hose reel. Here's the fittings. Here's the pressure washer. Here's the here's all the stuff. Then late 2016, I go to SEMA. And now Phil's really starting to court me because now I have like 70,000 subscribers. I met my friend Adam LZ. Uh, my channel kind of blew up for a short period of time when we um, we started doing stuff together. And um, and so Phil's like, you know, he sees the light, but he didn't want to pay me. He wanted me to like put the packages on Instagram or on, on, on Amazon. And he would I would just get the referral credit and he wouldn't have to pay that. So some weird convoluted thing. And I agreed to it. And then I came home and my Amazon account got shut down. Like I just punched the wrong password in or something. They just closed the account. So I'm like, crap, this is going to be a waste of time. I don't want to build my house on somebody else's land. So I started making some calls. Um, the other thing that was really annoying is that it was like 13 links to put together the Krenzel pressure wash. Mm -hmm. Like I had to send links to all these different places to go get it. And half the sites were crashed and like people couldn't get the things that they wanted. So I'm getting 200 emails a week of where do I get this or that? And I'm like, you know, screw all these people. I'm just going to call these companies and try to put together the package. Now, I didn't realize the package was 1575 bucks. I'm like, oh shoot, no one's going to buy that. That's a lot of freaking money for a, and the pressure you can only use for your car because it only it does low pressure, high flow. Uh, but I had found all the fittings and parts and pieces because when I was done with my $1,200 German pressure washer, I wanted to wipe it down, disconnect it, get all the water out, put it back in my cabinet. No one was using quick disconnects. No one had a short gun. No one was using foam cannons, all of that stuff. Uh, and so it was hard to find. It was hard to get. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to try to aggregate this. January 15th-ish of 2017, I launched... 13 videos on YouTube, right? Like right the second I just hit click and all the videos went live. I lost 5,000 subscribers right then and there. They said, screw this. What? Because people got all these notifications for 13 videos. And most of them were like a two minute video on a quarter inch quick disconnect. Mm -hmm. They're like, this is junk. I don't want to watch this. Mm -hmm. So all these Adam LZ followers just canceled, you know, unsubscribe for me. But the next morning I woke up and I had a few hundred emails in my inbox. And when do I, where do I sign right. up? Where do I get one? Sold fifty thousand dollars in pressure washers the next day. The rest is history. Mm -hmm. So, I think we've sold. We're approaching twenty thousand Krenzel pressure washers today. Yeah, because what's so, happening um, in that moment is you're you're staying true to yourself and you're adjusting the channel to fit what kind of content you want to put out. And if you lose people, so be it. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's not what you do isn't yeah. for everybody. What I do certainly isn't for everybody. Right? Right. Um, right. But at the end of the day, you got to stay true to you, your passion. You don't have to, but I don't right. know any yeah. other way. I don't, I don't know any other way either, right? I, I got to stay detailed. I'm like not going to do something that I don't think is true yep. to what I would do. Because I get, I get people all the time inquiring about like really high-end 
SPL builds, but I'm not a fucking SPL guy. I'm an SQ guy, right? So I'm not going right. to, you can throw all the money in the world at me to do an, an uh, SPL build, but I'm not going to do it because that's not who I am. If I don't feel like I can do it better than anyone else for what you're paying me, I'm not going to do it because mm -hmm. I have to give you the product that I know that you're going to get and receive and be like, wow, this is the most amazing experience I've ever had. Yeah. I mean, that, that like being everything to everybody is, is potentially like, you know, just be, let's just say general retail, you're going to retail, mm -hmm. like, like in detailing, I'm going to retail every product. And so I knew very early on, I'm not interested in that at all. I don't need some chemical guys and some nonsense garbage and mothers and junk like that, just so that I can try to capture everybody. I knew in the very beginning, I said, look, I'm only going to sell one soap. One, not 10, not 20, not 30, one. And, and I thought, if I'm going to do this, my margins aren't going to be as good. So I'm going to have to figure out some other things to do in order to make this work. Because I want to find the, what's the best soap. What's the best wheel brush? What's the best wax? What's the best wheel cleaner? You know, what's the best interior cleaner? And then aggregate and put those together. And I knew that, that no one else has ever done that in this world of car washing. You know, and very few people have done that anywhere in anything, right? I mean, you're doing that in installs and then you have a product line and then you end up, you know, you end up, you know, building systems based on what you're curating. You're putting it together. You know what products work well together. Mm -hmm. And so I had accumulated this body of knowledge because I had a really good job. I was making lots right. of money. I could buy a lot of crap and throw it away when it didn't right. work. And so I had lots of experience at a pretty quick clip. Um, plus, I had been able to fly around the country and get trained by some of the best detailers. Mm -hmm. So even though I'm not a professional, I didn't have as much time under the machine, but there was a lot of pushback in the, in the beginning of this because um, you know, detailing is a very blue collar and here's this white collar douchebag in here, you know, disrupting the thing. It was me and what was it? Larry, Larry Cosella, M-O-N-Y-C, and then me and the junk man. And the junk man kind of didn't, it never took off. And so I'm in here making all these videos and getting all this attention detailing when I really don't have any business doing it. But I did really know what I was talking about because I freaking loved it. And I loved it more than anybody. And so to this day, I still get a lot of, you know, a lot of flack from people about not knowing. I've said, let's, let's go. Let's have a knowledge off. I tell you what, let's, let's polish a panel and see what freaking happens. Mm -hmm. I might lose. But I'm going to gain your respect. That's darn sure, you know. So um, that that was one of the things in the beginning that I I knew that um, being a retailer um, and just trying to make money was not the thing to do because I didn't need it. I was just doing it. Really, I thought it would be great if I could like make a car payment with the amount of money that I make on you know selling mm -hmm. stuff. So so growing up, was there anything that kind of like in ignited this competitive nature that you have in wanting to learn and excel and continue because those type of people are few and far between. I feel like there's always something that happens in your life that makes you that type of person. Well, I think it's a lot of insecurity and fear. Um, you know, I grew up in a single wide trailer. You know, my parents were really young and they're, you know, in the late teens when they, they had me and they, you know, high school educated and, um, you know, extremely hardworking people. But I was just sort of an anomaly in my family and that I was blessed with the ability to like show up and get a hundred on every test. Like I didn't, I didn't know how to study. I didn't know what studying was. We just 
I just could learn things, just could figure things out. And so I always knew I was destined for college. I didn't know how I'd get there. I didn't know how to pay for it. I always knew what I loved. Mm-hmm. I always knew what thing I loved. Uh, and, um, you know, to this day, I wish I knew what I knew now because I would have started my own home theater business. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Mm-hmm. It'd have been worth, you know, half a billion dollars by now for sure. And just know it. And, and it has nothing to do with like being smart or great. It was just, I love it so freaking much. And I loved it so much then if I had known, you know, that, so I had no model for business. No one in my family in any generation ever owned any kind of business, was any kind of entrepreneur. It was just be a really good employee. So I thought, man, I didn't have the grades or the background or the upbringing to become like the CEO of Merrill Lynch, Mm -hmm. but I thought I could be like a really great number four or five, be some executive or something like that. I thought I was destined for something great. I just didn't know what it was. I had no clue mm-hmm. um, because even even while I was a tweeter and I guess I was very passionate about that, I, I thought I was cheating. Like I thought you can't do this. This isn't, isn't a real job. Mm-hmm. You can't use pat. You can't chase passion and do this forever. It's just like a temporary thing. Um, I had to go get the real job at Merrill Lynch. Yeah. And so that, that all comes from less than, I think, you know, we all have a story of something, whether it's some sort of trauma or something, Mm or, you know, divorce and family or some sort of, you know, some sort of PTSD that happened in your past or military base. Mine, I think was poor, but poor with a lot of structure and a lot of care for like my mom cleaned the floor every single day in the trailer. You know, we had the nicest trailer in the trailer park with all the crackheads, you know. And so there was care. A lot of pride. Work ethic, pride. But because I was born smarter than my family, I just got really, really freaking lucky. And then I was able to use that to go do something with it. Um, that um, that So the confluence of events and that less than, that insecurity, that oh man, I don't belong here. I, I never felt like I belonged to Tweeter. I felt like I didn't belong at Merrill Lynch. I felt like when I was a senior resident director, I, w- I didn't belong as a manager. I was always the young guy, even when I was you know playing sports. So when I was at Villanova, I'm like, I don't belong here. And so that gives you a chip that makes you chase and make sure that I think that I want to know. I didn't belong on YouTube. I didn't belong in detailing mm-hmm. all this stuff. I think that lack of I don't think I've ever said this before. I don't know that I've ever really thought about it this way, but I just was an imposter. Still am. That's what motivates me. No, I, I, I can totally relate to that. I mean, for me, I was, I was adopted. My mom, my biological mom had me when she was 14, mm. uh, brought up in a family that raised me. Like I was abused when I was like three years old and then went into the service and then I was put with this family and then this family adopted me. They got a divorce. I grew up with a single dad. Mm. He was like my best friend. Fast forward up to high school. My plan was to play baseball at LSU, go to college and do all this other stuff. But it got to this point where he's like, all right, I can get you a really, really nice car or you can go to this private high school. And I'm like, you know, what fucking question is that? (laughs) Like, I'll t- my first car was a 1999 Mitsubishi Eclipse GSX and oh, all wheel drive, four, 425 yeah. horsepower. I built the engine and that's kind of like was my template to build cars, right? And here yeah. I am like yep. 16, 17, 18 years old. I'm showing this car up and down, you know, the East Coast and winning mm-hmm. hot import nights and all these 
uh, CCA uh, yeah, yeah, shows yeah. and all this type of stuff. And that's kind of what really fueled my career, but it was based on a stupid question that my dad asked. He was just like, <laughs> do you want a nice car or do you want to go to a, like a private high school and then go to college? <laughs> Might've gotten right? out on the cheap on that right? one. <laughs> so I took the car oh, yeah. and then from there I went to UTI and I feel like UTI, I knew I didn't want to be a mechanic and Mm -hmm. I wanted to understand the five volt side of the car, right? Cause you got the 12 volt side and you got the five volt side, five volt side is your engine. Yep. 12 volt side is the interior electronics. And for me, I knew I couldn't be a master of my craft unless I learned the whole car, right? Cause there's a lot to a car, but you know, yeah. just car audio or interior electronics is just only half of it. I want to know if something that mm -hmm. I do impedes on the rest of the car. And if that happens, how do I fix it? So after I moved back to Maryland, I actually worked for Lexus in Towson, Maryland for a little bit. And I realized it was the worst job in history, right? Cause you spend five hours replacing a cam seal just for the, for the car to not leak anymore. And there's no payoff, right? There's no client that's happy. That's like, oh my God, I'm so happy. I got my car back and it does this really cool thing now. No, they're pissed off cause they spent all this money. You know, the shit just didn't leak mm -hmm. anymore there's no gratification at all for that job for me, right? It's not saying anything about other mechanics. It's just, I didn't get the reciprocation of the work that I put in and the passion that I put in. Whereas in the automotive fabrication and car audio, I get to see fucking grown men cry in a car when they're listening <laughs> to their audio system. And it's fun because like, once you are in depth in the fabrication side, you don't know which part you like more. Is it the fabrication? Is it the sound quality, right? Generally it's a sound quality. Mm -hmm. I assure you. Um, yep. just because yep. when you have a car audio system done correctly, that has staging with depth and all this other stuff, it's like an ungodly experience that most people have never listened to before. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. I dig that experience. You know, that I've, I've been, you know, following you for years. I'm like, man, one of these days I'm going to, I'm going to buy a car just to send to you, but I got to freaking be there. I want to be a part. It's funny. That's you know, like, that's how most of my clients, I sent a YouTube video yeah, coming. That's how most of my clients have transcended. Like I get emails that say, Hey, like I just had one last week. Um, I don't want to give too much detail away, but he's a CEO of a car company. And he said, Hey, I bought this Ferrari Portofino just for you to build. And for me, I'm just like, <laughs> that's awesome. Right. Cause that's my passion. That's what I love. Like me, mm -hmm. I drive, a two, I drive my old wife's 2008 Subaru Tribeca with 200,000 miles. It has the Thanos of lights on the dashboard. It's got a, it's got blue for windshield washer fluid. It's got yellow for check engine. It's got red for differential light. Like it's got every color <laughs> on the dashboard. Right. Um, I drive the worst car of all time and I get my gratification in doing the cars that I get to work on an, on a daily basis. Right. So the audio, mm -hmm. the yeah. car, like for me, driving a cool car doesn't move me because I get to take that gratification. At, like I'm sitting in an awesome car every day, listening to great sound every day. And I only drive two miles to work if that. So I don't, I feel like I don't need that in my life. You're better for it. Yeah. I got more money for There's it. Only so I much could never, <laughs> I could never. There's only so much bandwidth for passion, 100%. you know, there's so much room. 
and you 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 know I, I've gotten myself into trouble because I've you know there is a such thing as too much you know too much of a good thing you know for me it's you know I've got freaking audio like at one point I had like I don't know, just had like every SVS subwoofer and every like all this NAD equipment and just like like a hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of audio equipment just stacked up like just stressing me out like what am I going to do with this mm -hmm. stuff like because uh, I, I wanted it all to try out and test out and it was worth the the, the struggle because now I have a, a body of knowledge that's worth something on that particular project but that was to do some sweet audio in the garage which everybody gives me a hard time about you know it's which is nonsense what are the two places you listen to music in the garage and the car the two worst listening environments in the world i think you can make it decent you know if you if you can make it great in the car if you have someone like you to, to do it but i think you can make it nice in the garage as well but yeah the, i think there's only so much room in this world for for passion like you know, I live in Florida, so I feel like I should have some guns, and, and um, I don't give a crap about guns. And so I went to the place, and of course, what I just wanted was the me or the you of guns, yeah. Yeah. right? I wanted to go to you and say, "What should I right. get?" And you say, y "You give me the top-down sales." I just they're, they're, and that's so rare to find. You know, it's such a rare thing to find. Um, to find, and they're out there, but that's a hard person to find to, to, in, in every, in every category, whether it's, you know, you're, you're buying a new bathtub, you want the bathtub expert, or you're buying a new, you know, a new AR 15 or whatever you're getting. It's, it's, it's magical when you happen to find somebody who's passionate about that particular subject, because there's only so much room. Yeah. And like I said, much like you, the content that I put out revolves around the passion that I have behind what I do and therefore the inquiries I get, I can equally tell the same amount of passion, right? And I can prioritize that email based on how much time and effort you put into this email to ask me about the system of your dreams, right? You're saying, oh, I competed in the nineties. I'm getting back into this. And you're listing all this mm -hmm. stuff like to the 10th degree. Yep. Like I know you're serious and you're passionate and that aligns with what I do. So I know that this is a good inquiry versus, you know, me and uh, I sent Gary an email the other day of this dude. <laughs> I, I just bought three supercars. What's the best? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was kind of crazy. And uh, what car did he say he had? I already forget. Yeah. F50. He said he, three said, F he had, said he had three F50s. Yeah. Three F50s that he just bought that he doesn't have. And the only pictures he sent me were like screenshots of stuff you can find on the Internet. And I'm mm -hmm. just like, this guy's not serious. Yeah. But like I said, carefully, he's probably a podcast yeah. listener. Oh, well, so be it. You're called out. So <laughs> like that's the content that I put out. I have always exuded passion. And when I talk to people in the sales process, you know, people understand how passionate I am. And I feel like passion drives 90% of your sales. Yeah. It's like, I don't know how many people have started out with an idea that they might have a $3,000 audio system and they wind up spending 30K. And that's just like a one example of stuff that happens all the time. And people get excited. Like that is the number one thing you need to have as a salesman is just that, that passion and excitement because our job is to get people excited. I make this analogy all the time that like everyone has indispensable income. It doesn't matter what bracket you're in. You're spending money on something. Could be drugs, right? 
could be mm-hmm. could be watches, could be vacations, could be anything. But our job is to find that passionate articulation to get people to understand why they should spend money on what you're passionate about. Yeah. You will find those people. Those people seek the content out. That's why I love YouTube. That's why I love social media because I always find that YouTube, I take the time to make one YouTube video on a car, talk about it, break it down. And then that's a living ad that just sits on the internet forever. Yeah. And you can aggregate a like, a like-minded audience. Right. I mean, uh, how many people are like that in your town? You know, right. 50, yeah, zero, you know? zero, <laughs> pretty much. I'm, I'm in <laughs> Delaware. Most people have never even heard of Delaware. How you know much soap I'd be selling? Like if I was here in town, yeah. not zero, you know, none. So the, the social media platforms really allow us to do that. And that was the big epiphany for me as I started to figure out, okay, maybe this isn't a bridge. So I have, I have a business coach. And so I, I retained that coach. Uh, I think 2000, late 2015, I took a business course that I didn't want to take. Um, my partner, so I was doing Obsessed Garage and I had uh, two partners, a senior partner and a junior partner at Merrill Lynch. Uh, we eventually left Merrill Lynch to go to Raymond James because Raymond James, the reason why I wanted to leave was because they were going to allow us to allow me to do uh, Obsessed Garage and then call it Obsessed Wealth Management. Because I just thought, you know, there was this connection. There was this conduit. Somehow, somehow I'm going to break down this wall uh, because I can't, you can't advertise on YouTube or, you know, on most social platforms. You can just not allow through the, you know, FINRA, SEC, stuff like that. So we go to we go to Raymond James. My partner thinks I'm crazy. He wants to split, so we split up the partnership, right? So he's the one telling me this is stupid. You know, um, you shouldn't do this. You should wasting your time. You know, my wife is not really telling me no, but she's like, at some point, you're gonna have to like do something with the family here because you're working three jobs. And you know, so my partners are saying no. Merrill Lynch was saying no. You know, Raymond James was saying yes, but they really didn't know what I was talking about. They really didn't believe me, and so. In 2017, I sold a million eight worth of stuff. It's freaking sick. My parents were shipping part-time microfiber towels, car washing packages, Krenzel pressure washers out of their house and my t-shirts. So I did a million eight in sales. It's a 30% margin. So I made like 400 grand on the side. Like just doing something I had no idea. Um, And now it's significant. So I'm making 500 and I give you numbers just as context. I'm making a half a million bucks in my real job, and then um, and then I'm you know making making almost that on my side hustles. Now I'm starting to get confused. And my business coach said something to the effect of, "I said, man, in the very beginning, I'm like, what if I could sell like 50 pressure washers?" He said, "What if you could sell 5,000?" Because he knew all along that I was destined for Obsessed Garage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obsessed wealth was what I'd spent 15 years. I was a certified financial planner, chartered investment and management analyst. So I was a CFP, SEMA, CHFC, CFM, CRPC. I had like 37 letters behind my name. I was a senior vice president, senior resident director. Like I wanted to be like the rock star of the industry. And so I, I felt so invested, like I could never let this go. And then it all got taken from me, which is the best thing that have ever happened. Now, it didn't feel like it at the time, but in March of 2018, a few months before I had made my first vlog, I wasn't in a vlog and I was just making videos. So I made a vlog. I made a bet with my buddy. We did a weight loss challenge. And the challenge was if I lost, 
he got my GT350 and my Raptor, and I had to drive his non-air conditioned, um, basically open header, 180,000 mile um, Ford Focus, you know, manual Ford. So Focus, how was it driving down that? windows? It was, I lost, it was horrible. And I made a two week vlog. It was two weeks of a day in the life of the obsessed. And so I took my camera everywhere with me, including my office. I took it with me in the, you know, the parking lot in my office. And eventually some people in compliance, some young guys in compliance that were fans of mine were watching the video. They must've told their boss that, Hey, look how cool this is. Next thing I know, March of 2018, I'm in a room with 12 regulatory attorneys from the SEC, I'm in with the, you know, with the head of compliance for Raymond James Corporate. Uh, Raymond James Corporate, I had to go to Tampa, the manager of the region, the manager of him, the manager of the state, you know, the manager of the you know, East Coast, the country, and then a bunch of note takers. And then some guy, I walk in, my picture's on the screen, and they hand a binder to everybody of everything I've ever emailed, I've ever sent every, you know, all the transcripts of all the videos of things that I said. And it's like Twitter so all over I'm, again. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Now, again, I'm the, I have a key. I'm the biggest rule follower. I love this place. You know, I'm a champion for everything. I'm the biggest recruiter of other people to come to this career path. And here we are again. I'm in freaking trouble. I'm in trouble because the rules are ridiculous. The rules should be rewritten. I don't want to break the rules, I'm not breaking the law. I'm only want to break the ones that are stupid. Yeah. You know, you know, Ain't the, the speed limit should not be 35. When I have a GT3 RS on a back road, I'm going to go whatever speed limit seems safe to me. I know what the right rules are. And so here's the problem. I'm working for a company, yeah. right? You're not working for yourself. But they trick you into thinking that you own your own business, but you don't own squad, yeah. right? Again, remember this progression. I'm using their platform and finding my own clients. So I was under the guys that I had built my own practice. Mm -hmm. Really, I didn't. So their 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 um, name, you know, their reputation was at risk. And so three months later, they strung me along for three months. And, and then eventually they walked me in and fired me. So my 15 year, 14 year practice that I had built, they just took it. And now I'm out on the street. But I was on track to do 4 million in sales. So I'm not broke, right? So, so I'm on track to do 4 million in sales that year of product. And now I would have never quit. I would have just kept trying to do both. And I was starting to get clients. And I'm pretty confident that I would have become one of the biggest financial advisors in the country because my audience is your audience, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. the guys that you know are the same yep. type of guy. I mean, these are the guys that would be having me manage their money. And these guys would, you know, I would have a few thousand of them and, and I would have, you know, infinite amount of assets that I'd be managing, but I wouldn't have given that up. Wouldn't have, I wouldn't have let it go. And because they took it from me, I thought what I would do, okay, I'll sell my house, I'll sell my cars, I'll get like a GTI or like a Golf R or something like that. That way I have something I could detail and make videos on. Um, my parents um, were had just moved down, so they were now working with me. They quit their jobs. Uh, so the three of us could, could make this happen. Um, I'll just get a smaller house and, and, and we'll figure it out. Luckily, I didn't have to do that because I think that year we ended up at like, you know, eight or nine million in sales or something like mm -hmm. that. I had seven employees by the end of the year and the rest is history. But man, it was especially with my 
OCD and vasovagal. Like I was having a really hard time with life. Like my character was called into question. I was, you know, sort of attacked. My partners, everybody's just telling me, no, this is terrible. Don't do this. You're, even my accountant says, absolutely do not do this. Um, and, um, and sure enough, you know, he regrets that, you know, that comment. Um, but the, the, you know, is obviously the best thing that ever happened to me. So in June of 2018, I was out on the street, but then very quickly, you know, turned it into you know, what, you know, is now, now, now today. So, and we're, I think, headed to the freaking moon because I love it. And, and now we're at the next echelon of, of, of my progression in business. There are no customers walking through the door and there's no platform. Mm-hmm. You got to build it from nothing. Right. And luckily for me, the side hustle, like I didn't like, you know, people have an idea, an invention or whatever, and they leverage the farm. They, they, they borrow money against their house and they you know, try to get patents and they spend all their money and then they're broke because their idea doesn't work. Like I didn't have the balls to do anything like that. I had these two parallel things going on at the same time. So I was luckily able to make this nice, smooth transition into the other. But it didn't feel smooth because they fired me. Like I got fired. Like it's the only job I've ever been fired from um, because the sound advice thing, they didn't fire me. They didn't send me to jail, which would change the, the, the course of my life. This time they, you know, they walked me out the door and said, we'll come get your stuff. We'll put it in a box. It's pretty, pretty traumatic for a guy that wants to be nice and liked and all that kind of stuff. It was a pretty, pretty rough go. So you've turned all that into essentially what would be anyone's dream job, building a car with no pressure and then being able to give it yep. away. And you've, you've done that a few times, right? Yeah. That, I think I'm on my seventh car. Now that concept came from, um, I, uh, bought a car and spent too much money on, it. I can't sell it. You know, I sell it for like 50% of how much money I'm into it. And so uh, my buddy, Adam LZ had just done one and made like, you know, a million dollars on it or something. And I'm like, you know, I'm not gonna make a million dollars, but I bet you I could at least get out of this. You know, I could get out of this without losing, you know, a hundred thousand bucks. Uh, and so, um, you know, cause think about all your customers. They just put a $50,000 stereo on and guess what that stereo is worth in the secondary market? Five grand, maybe. The, the good news is. The good news is a lot of that equipment can go from yeah. car to car also. Well, and they're not doing it to increase the value of the car. Just you put wheels, tires, suspension. Yeah, for sure. You never get out what you, what you put in. You're not going to get that out of it. Right, right. So so the this this the idea of giveaways and just I, I think that the giveaway is a microcosm of the simple concept of if you can provide the world the value and if you can, and, and, and if you can, um, you know, make it somewhat entertaining to a certain niche grouping of people, combine that with the reach that YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and these social platforms have, allow you to reach out of just your town and aggregate a bunch of like-minded people. You can create anything. I bought a freaking house in the mountains and have involved the audience, and it's this mansion in the mountains I could never afford, um, even today. And um, and then just share it with the audience and have them help share in the cost of it, and they're happy because they're getting an equal exchange in value. And I'm happy that I got to do the project and share it with the world. And so, making that stuff out of thin air that everybody tells you you can't do, no one's going to do it. You can't rent out a house; they'll ruin it. 
Um, but I would argue if you have the right people going to it, they're going to take better care of it than I would. So when you're going into those projects, are you projecting the ad revenue and seeing if it's worth it? No, no. Ad revenue has no, no decision at all. The YouTube channel makes like 60,000 bucks a year or something like that. So at what Tops. point are you like, I'm going to give a, you know, a GT3 away or a Civic SI away? So let's clarify. I'm not giving squad okay. away. I'm selling a boatload of stuff that then generates enough profit to then allow me to draw somebody from, a, you know, from a random number generator. Got it. So generally, like the last car I did, I made like a, like a 280 grand profit net. So it's 150K in the car. I sold a bunch of crap, you know, a bunch of, of course, stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. But I sold a bunch of tchotchkes and a bunch of, you know, higher margin things outside of my normal sales. Because that, that doesn't work. It doesn't work me giving away a $150,000 car out of my normal sales because I don't make anything. Right. And so this is a way for me to garner attention, the market. I get out of the car that I spent too much money on. I got to experience the car. I got to make the content. But the videos, the revenue of the videos has no bearing at all. But that's on my point. I the ever. Merrill Lynch of you is breaking down the other factors of how you're actually going to be able to do this efficiently, net profit yep. to be able to do it. But see, I never, ever lead with the result. So the money means, and Understood. this is a, this is a, this is the reason why I'm a terrible financial advisor because I tell everybody to spend all their money. I'm always leading with the passion. Yeah, I'm yeah. always leading with can I engage with people, um, and then the money will come at the end of it. So like when I did the first giveaway, if I lost yeah, it all, it I was just, it just rolling the night. Yeah. But knowing that chances are this is a really great car, I did a really nice job on it, so chances are it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And then the results are generally the, the advantage of not leading with the result is the results are generally much much higher than they would have been had I actually chosen a result. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so I spend zero time looking at YouTube analytics. I spend zero time. I have no idea how many views I get, other than if I like have to watch back a video. Um, I'm not looking at ad revenue. I'm not looking at what does the best okay, at what yeah. time. That's probably a mistake, um, but I don't do any of that stuff. It's probably why I have 300,000 subscribers instead of 2 million. Maybe it's my face too. YouTube and, subscribers you know, is a grind. I'm just going to say it's definitely <laughs> a grind. You got to be, I've always said for years, if I could just put out consistent content and I know if that I vlogged every event that I went to and people could get to know the person behind the build, I would do so much better, but I just don't have that bandwidth, right? I spent my whole twenties mm. grinding and I spent too much time on my career. And it, obviously you only have so much bandwidth, right? Your family is going to take that. Well, hit. you have it, you, you have it and you could always apply leverage and hire somebody, but you're not like, I'm a love the cam I love cameras. Mm -hmm. I love computers. I love editing the video. I love um, not like artistic editing, but like putting it together. Mm -hmm. I love posting it. I love interacting. Without that, I would do like 25% because right. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about the process of that. Because I tell people all the time, they're like, well, I want to make a YouTube channel and they have a business of some sort. I said, well, do you love cameras? No, I'm not really interested. Do you love computers? No, I'm not really interested in that. Um, and so you have to... It, it becomes a job to create content. Mm -hmm. For me, 
I love doing it. I love, and it goes back to the the benefit that I got from journaling and getting out of my own head and the benefit of me being on a podcast like this, like I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be able to, to tell my story and get this out of my brain uh, without, without the work that was required. So I, I think that positive reinforcement that I got from helping me get out of death's doorstep onto, you know, onto what, onto whatever path I was on, but you've, you know, you could, what I'm getting at is you could make the bandwidth if you like love that, yeah. but it's not, it's not, it's not the passion. So you're, you're doing it cause you have to do it. And so you're probably only doing about 25%, which is a lot, mm-hmm. but you're doing about 25% of what you would be able to create bandwidth for if it was your thing, but you have 10 other things that are your thing. Yeah. So that's the problem. Just so happens that the videoing and all of that happens to be one of my 10 things. Yeah. So I can produce a video. We probably produce on average, probably one and a half videos a day on average, 365. Yeah, you put you put out a lot of content and you have a podcast, a dialed in podcast that everyone listening yep. now, and let's take a few steps back. The biggest reason I wanted to have you on this podcast to start is because for years I've seen so many similarities between like you and you and me throughout this process mm-hmm. and we're on two separate sides kind of of the industry right there's so many people yep. listening to this right now who are obsessed with so many things car that doesn't yep. know matt mormon or obsessed garage right and vice versa like mm-hmm. so many people in obsessed garage that doesn't know the capabilities of what can actually happen in car audio, right? Or the yep. fabrication and all that kind of stuff. And that's why my first interaction with understanding Obsessed Garage and you was through the Facebook group, right? Cause searching all these different yeah. Facebook groups, I found this one Facebook group, Obsessed Garage, where I saw all these enthusiasts who are like my key demographic clients. And mm-hmm. like, it was probably the first time I've ever posted somewhere in a Facebook group that just didn't take my shit down, right? And I feel like it didn't come down <laughs> because it kind of spoke to what you stand for, which is like the obsessness of anything car, right? right? Yeah. Because it, it shows all these people what's capable and what can be done yeah. to the highest level in this one category of car. And you know, the feedback that I've gotten through the group is like, everyone's like, oh, I love when you post and blah, blah, blah. And like, I just have a lot of respect for that. Just because again, understanding more and more who you are as a person in your journey, I see the similarities of where we, where we came. And I knew that this would be a good source for a lot of the people that listen to our podcast, because we actually have like a pretty good group of people that listen on average. I mean, we just had Chip Foose on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I knew that there'd be a good merge because anytime that I'm in Obsessed Garage Facebook group, I see all the mutual friends of mine who are actually a part of the Facebook group. And it's not a ton, right? It's the the percentages don't work out how they should. So there's this big blind spot in the other aspect of car and i felt like you know I, I even messaged you like two years ago it's been a while of like hey you should come on the podcast and you know anytime we do our podcast which doesn't happen often because again we don't have the same bandwidth we have full-time jobs and that takes priority we're not just social media 
but we always try and lead where things make sense. And obviously we just had Chip, Chip on a few episodes ago. And with you, it's that same sort of interweaving of a different audience that still is obsessed and still makes sense of exactly the type of people that listen to this podcast. Yeah. And, you know, like I'm probably, you know, 10% of the way to you. Like I, I understand you and what you do. You understand mm-hmm. what I do. You know, you understand the car care. Mm-hmm. You understand that, if, you know, you're not going to. I'm not going to go to your, obviously I don't have your artistic right. ability, right. but I, you know, I, I understand that I want to buy something from you someday. You want to buy some of the stuff that I have in the garage mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so there's a, there's a, there's an intersect for most people that are, if you're obsessed with car audio right. and you're going to do a system like the level of what you're building, you probably, and you're listening to this podcast, right. you probably have, exactly. you probably would want some sonic cabinets with supply, sonic yeah. you know cry you probably want a new bomb lift you probably want creed lighting you probably want some of these things that these that, that, that you've that done the diligence are, to put together so people don't have to right. do, to do the homework right it's the same it's the right. same exact concept but it's marrying the two together which i've seen like this void for years i think it goes further than that like i couldn't marry together what you do like without the you know without the 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 artistic skill set right so you know and and chances are some of the products you're using i never would even you would never even find like you wouldn't even know where to get them that's one of the toughest things in our world is not only is there what you were talking about when you started in car audio that system design and knowing the performance and what's going to work well together but then taking that group that understands that and then the group that understands the vehicle technology moving forward and then also take the sector of people that can fabricate at a high level and make something that's creative and and you know accents the car and fits with the theme and then you you try to fill all three of those buckets with one person or shop and that that's a short list and what people are buying is all of the mistakes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> it's really what they're buying from me. All the mistakes I've made to build a garage or to put together, a, to, or to come to the conclusion of what actual thing 100%. to buy. What That's so valuable. Buy. They're buying all of your screw ups, all of your fiberglass box that exploded or all of your, you know, you thought this was going to sound great and it actually sounds terrible and all of that. You know, this product was a lot of money, but it really isn't worth it. You know, all that is mistake after mistake after mistake that that creates this body of knowledge and this body of value that then, you know, you're 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 paying for that twenty plus years of of screw ups is really what they're doing. And but but here's the key. In order to get to where you're at, you can't there's no giving up, right? It's like you, 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 because you're, you're passionate about it. You, you keep trying, keep chasing, keep looking for other things, keep looking to make it better. Uh, and, and the only way you can do that is if you're passionate about it, because if it's just a job, then you're just going to do the minimum and you're just going to be building, you know, you're going to build square JL boxes and put them in the back of an Escalade. You know, that's what you're going to be doing. And no offense, JL. (laughs) You know, you're going to take a jail driver and you're going to make it in some crazy, you know, carbon fiber, you know, enclosure that's some down firing band pass disappears into the car sort of thing. Right. right. And, and, that's, and so, that's the other thing behind it, which has a lot with what you said is like the people seeking out that type of work will find it. Right. The only way that I could 
do a carbon fiber enclosure that's resin infused is going to be if I find the client that finds value in that, right? Because again, yeah. the regular shop would would fall over dead if they realize what that enclosure would cost for a client to buy. But at the same point, like yeah. Gary does a lot of stuff for manufacturers, a lot of prototype mm -hmm. work, a lot of stuff that he really can't talk about. Yep. He, he builds a lot of stuff where, you know, the amount of money invested in that is a lot, right? So if you're just saying, Hey, what is a center console cost for Porsche to make in a 911 from the ground up design? Like that's hundreds of thousands of dollars, most likely. So for yeah. me charging, not even close to that, that's, that's value, but doing it in the same way that Porsche would do it. The Porsche client who cares about the car and is obsessed with the car is is going to pay that because nobody else in the world is going to have anything like it. So when I did that GT3 with the carbon fiber subwoofer enclosure, resin infused and everything, that's just a way to speak to the car, speak to how it would have been built through Porsche, and then being able to also get paid the amount of money of time that I have invested in doing it like that. Yeah. And, and not just that, but all the time to learn exactly. those techniques exactly. and practice them. Right. Yeah. Even if I had somebody that was going to pay me, I can't do it because I don't have the, well, I don't have the, the artistic skill set, the mechanical skill set and all of the mistakes, all the body of knowledge, all the years of trial and error. So there's, there's a, you know, a, a big, confluence of events that has to come together in order for all that. You have to have the customer, you have to have the money, you have to have the time, you have to have the expertise, you have to have the skill set, all of that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And that's, that's, you know, in, in my world of this, you know, of, of sharing products of, of basically what I'm, what I've become as a super retailer, like a very specific, very niche retailer of products because of all the freaking screw ups of buying the wrong hose reel, buying the wrong lights, you know, but there's buying so much and value, the wrong like so many people, yeah. like you've exposed the value behind the trial and error and the R and D because like, again, I could say the same thing for like Tesla specific installations, which a lot of people will call me for just because a lot of people don't know how to install audio equipment in Tesla's, right? I've, yep. I've understood and know every way to not do something in a Tesla. And I've screwed up enough to understand the exact procedure to do it correctly. And there's so much value in somebody who has a Tesla plaid 2024, that's 150 grand and they don't want to screw up their car. Yeah. So trying to leverage that and understand how can I provide value to somebody across the country who's not willing to ship me the car, but how can I help them install their audio system correctly with the shop that is local to them? Well, there's a fight for that, you know, that knowledge, right? For me, it's the fight to like, I want to buy professional grade stuff. Like I want to have professional grade things in my garage. I want to have professional grade things in my light or in my life. You know, the lights in this house or, you know, each one of these recess fixtures are like, they're like a couple hundred bucks. Uh, they're made for like, you know, like uh, hotels and stuff like that. But I want the professional grade product because I want the quality and I've got to fight for that. Mm -hmm. like, you you got to be and, and to get that light, I bought five other lights that I was willing to throw away. And so there's the, the pursuit. I think 100%. the pursuit there's of so much value in that. because most would 
quit because it, the, the company still won't even let me put the freaking price on the website. So that would be something you'd quit on. They wouldn't call. They wouldn't take my call. They wouldn't hear from, you know, they wouldn't listen to me. They would said, no one's going to buy that. And, and, you know, and, and so the, the, there's, there's that struggle, that pursuit of making a better system or the pursuit of taking a, a technically difficult vehicle to deal with because the electronics are so sophisticated in a Tesla, there's the pursuit. Uh, and then, the the fact that you didn't give up, which then at the end of all of the not giving up, when you hit all the roadblocks is where I think, you know, the real value comes in, in the world. Here's the perfect analogy. I think I just I think I just found the perfect analogy for what we're talking about. Think about when you and the wife are sitting on the couch scrolling through Netflix, right? If nobody gives you a recommendation, you're going to be spending 40 minutes scrolling through, right? <laughs> Trying to find that. And then you're looking up reviews and you see one bad review. So you're like, yeah, fuck that. And you keep going, you keep going. But if a buddy says, hey, watch this, it's awesome. There's no questions asked. You're hitting, you're hitting watch now and you're in. If it sucks, you're going to tell the buddy like that sucked. But at the end of the day, you're watching it, right? You're giving it the time of day. You're not doing any research. You're just going straight in with somebody that you trust. Same concept. And I think that's the greatest analogy of all time. Yeah. And, oh. and you wouldn't take that advice from somebody you you just met that doesn't know you personally or doesn't understand or that you don't know their background and how much they so I'm they put buddy. into that. I'm the buddy. Yeah. I'm the buddy with the answer. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. You know, you're the buddy with the answer, you know, for, for that particular thing. And so like, you know, Netflix, that's a good example. I probably could be the guy to tell you what to watch because I've watched freaking everything. And um, my gut, I know in my gut what is worth watching. Mm -hmm. And that that gut reaction has some value because of all of the mistakes stuff I watched. I shouldn't have. You know, 100%. And so. All yeah, the stuff you got 10 minutes into and threw away. <laughs> right. There's so no, much value. Like time, <laughs> time is so valuable in the modern day and age of especially Americans. Because again, time is just so quick. It's so like the most valuable thing an American has is time. Right. So I think you've. that's That changes with age. You don't realize that when you're young, Matt. You, it mm. takes. Maybe it happens with it takes age. takes life experience to realize that. You don't realize that when you're younger. But at the same point, I feel like in today's yeah, I don't have a time, problem with that. Time is so I don't valuable. have a problem with time at all. I, I'm probably because I'm such a narcissist. I don't have time at all or, or, or any issue with, with time. I have as much time as much time as I need. Now, a lot of that is because of the obsessiveness of um, structuring things in life. And so like, you know, I have a freaking army of people that do everything for me. So that's that, but that takes a lot of structure and a lot of time to build that. Um, so time is one of those things that I feel like I have an infinite amount of, cause I just manufacture it by adding leverage, by hiring somebody and then figuring out how to pay for that leverage by, by the leverage. So when I hire somebody to do something, they're able to generate enough to cover them. Plus give me a little piece of the action as well. And so that's why I watch all the stuff on Netflix. But see, I and, and I think that I think the reason I have a, and what it seems to be an infinite amount of time is because because I, I can't. Um, it's very rare for me to have a conversation right now and not be doing something else at the same time because I'm 
in constant state of panic and worry. I usually have to occupy both sides of my brain. So like if I'm watching something on TV, I have to be listening to a podcast mm -hmm. and researching something <laughs> uh, or or designing a garage or something like that. And so I'm, I'm, I feel like I have all this leverage in life. So maybe someday we can have a podcast about uh, time management and I'll 100%. share some of my thoughts. I, I feel the same way. Like <laughs> there's so many people that I talk to anytime that we're at industry events, you talk to other peers and you just get to know who they are and how they work and how their typical day is set up. Like me, I can never listen to music during a work day. I just can't. It's just, to me, it's a complete fucking waste of time because you're hearing the same song you've heard a thousand times. I have to listen to a podcast and I have to be constantly learning something as I'm doing my day. Like I just, I can't yeah. listen to music. I feel like that's the biggest waste of time ever. I have to be accelerating my knowledge to. <laughs> and and who wants to listen to music if you can't listen critically? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I I don't ever take time to listen to music. I was listening today when I was polishing. Um, I have um, Dyn Audio um, uh, Core 59 studio monitors on a um, NAD C685 uh, preamp and then two you know core subs. So it's a pretty, pretty awesome. It's like a $20,000 garage system. And so sometimes I just like to get beat up a little bit, you know, and just have it. <laughs> You know, while I'm polishing, just, you know, crank it up and you know, shake the walls a bit that, that sometimes that's fun to me. Um, but I, I do like the um, I'm not a headphone music listener at all, ever. Like like just like, you know, like I don't need to listen to music when I'm working out or running or anything like that, which is weird. But like if I'm sitting on the couch, I need to be like doing two or three things. Otherwise, I'll start worrying about I'm going to die or something like that. And I'm having some panic meltdowns. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but that curse. So, so I, I get this often that you know because I, I I get how I come across you know to 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 certain people you know to the vast majority of like I cause probably because I use the wrong language I call regular people like regular people I don't come across very well and but then the people that that get it really get it you know really get it and so the sharing of of things sharing of concepts in a very matter of fact, very, what is what, you know, say what is so kind of idea is, is also what helps keep me um, from like, if I had 2 million people following, it'd be too much. It'd just be too much for me to handle. Uh, and so the decision to be purely authentic, be just me, not turn on the charm, not kind of water it down a little bit to be more appealing to everybody and say what is so and just just be me is um, is what creates lots of time for me uh, because the customers that I have in order to get to buy something, they have to get through a 45 minute video of me being very matter of fact, mm -hmm. being, being being very um, to the wrong person. It, it comes across as narcissistic and condescending and arrogant and all of that. Um, but but the, the the key to the, the whole obsessed garage experiment was the humbling, mm -hmm. you know, the humbling in 2014 that I'm really not that good. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really not. I don't have a eight pack anymore. I'm not, you know, I'm freaking chubby and old and, and, you know, I'm really not all that. 
that that has really changed my whole life and changed the whole dynamic. And it's freed up a lot of time for me um, by just being me all the time and just doing the things that I love to do all the time and then figuring out when there is something that I don't love to do, how to create leverage, how to bring somebody into my life, invite them in and then let them use their talent being humble enough to know that like, I don't know if you've seen them, like I hired my good buddy, Mike, Mike can build anything. So Mike, why would I push Mike out of the way to like, you know, to, to fix the drywall and, and wire, do some, you know, some sophisticated electrical work. Why would I push him out of the way? And so he provides me leverage and then mm. Bryce takes care of the website. And why would I push Bryce out of the way when he can code and write all the stuff? Why would I take photos of the stuff or video when Michael Waba can take a much better video than I could? Uh, and so that's been the big discovery of my life, this humbling of a really, I'm not all that, I wouldn't even let my assistant open an account for me when I was at Merrill Lynch because she'd screw it up, I thought. And so this this has afforded me like endless amounts of time by inviting other people to do things. Because prior to this, if I invited you, I would never like invite you to help me move. Mm-hmm. I'd help you because I'm really good at organizing that kind of stuff. And I love that, you know, love making fun of you and saying your freaking stuff is disorganized. And I love coming in and being a help to that. But I wouldn't want you to help me move because then I'd owe you something. And so that was the big epiphany of, of discovering time was the humbling and then the, uh, you know, then this discovery that, man, you validate others when you include them in things, when you invite them to do things. You're like when you invited Chip Foose to do it, you're probably thinking, man, I don't know if I should. When you invite somebody, right, he's, right. you know, you're, you're validating him. Now, granted, someone like him can only say yes to so many things. Right. Um, but, but there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a humbling that needs to happen in order to invite others into your life to help provide leverage mm-hmm. to create some greater 100%. good, if you will. Yeah. I can only wish that in a few years I have the bankroll. So then I could, cause I, I know you have the bandwidth. You've already told me that you could then become my life coach. <laughs> because you were like you're an artist see you're you're much more an artist than an engineer and so that you have all the smarts that i don't have i feel like you learned a lot along the way that has the fucking experience (laughs) that i'm always trying to figure out how i can take me who like i do all my own sales i do all my own installs i do all my own video i take all my own pictures i do everything for myself right and I know that you, right now you're just boiling, being like, you can't do that. No, I get it. I, I totally understand. Part of that is your, your, I would guess, you know, knowing you a little bit, that you probably don't think that anybody else could do it as good as you. Exactly. Right? 100%. So there's, there's a bit of that. 100%. And then there's a bit of frustration that even if you found somebody as good as you, they're not going to do it the way you wanted to do it. 100%. And so it's kind of hard to give it up, right? Right. Which is a bunch of freaking nonsense. Um, we but, had that conversation probably five years ago, yeah. Matt, about yeah. like yeah. if you're going to grow, that's and you have Aaron now. That's a it's that's a step. step in the right direction. Like I have a guy who, at least now, I've figured out a way to mini scale. So I have a guy that will take apart the car, do all the basic parts of the insulation, do the speakers, do the sound treatment, get it ready for me to do the cosmetics and then the tune right. So when he's stripping down the car and getting everything ready, I'm doing the cosmetics and tuning the prior car. And then when he's done, mm-hmm. I'm doing the cosmetics and the 
and the tuning of the next car. So we figured out a way to scale a little bit, but I mean, you hit the nail on the head, like the way that I take pictures, the way that I do video, the way that I do anything, I, I take so much pride in everything that I do that I feel like nobody else mm -hmm. is gonna be able to fill that void. Sales, perfect. <laughs> I feel like nobody can talk to a client the way that I talk to a client because I have more passion than that salesman. And there's no salesman yeah, that's gonna be able time. to talk to yeah. a client and get them as, as excited to do something as I would. So that's why. Why don't you take, why don't you take like a, a, um, like a, a Monday and Tuesday off, which you don't have, fly down here to Florida and I'll show you how to do all this. And I'll show you, <laughs> um, all of these people that, that now, now one of the, the, the smart things I'm hearing that you did there is that you don't want to create a bunch of mini use. You don't want people threading it, right? You don't want them to know your customers. You don't want, you don't. So the person that's dealing with the customer shouldn't know how to do the install. Like you don't want to create a bunch of potential competitors, mm -hmm. you know, where eventually they're going to say, well, shoot, yeah, this guy's exactly. making all the money and I'm not. And so I'm going to go steal it. Uh, but what I started with in the beginning is like, what are the, what is the thing that I should be doing the least of? And it was shipping. Right. And so I hired my parents and I got them on the cheap, right? Because they were doing it on the part part time. And then and and then, you know, I knew that they wouldn't screw it up and I knew they would do it. Eventually, I had a really hard time because my dad wasn't all that great with printing out the invoices and all that stuff. So I had to spend a little time fighting through that. And then at some point, my mom totally revamps how everything's packaged and put together. And like, I have nothing to do with that. You eventually get to the point to where I don't really know how to do anything. I don't like I don't edit a video, mm -hmm. but every single one of these little things every day, I had to take time with somebody to then have it not take any more time ever again. And if you if you articulate and you make agreements with people mm -hmm. um, and if you share your vision with them, they'll surprise you more than you could possibly imagine. So as you might imagine, I am the biggest control freak in the history of the universe, mm -hmm. right? I'm a psycho when it comes to that. But once you start to let these things go, then it becomes a game mm -hmm. for you. You start to become like, man, what else can I get rid of? What else could I not do that I think I'm better than anybody else at? Like I believe, I get in trouble with it all the time, I'm better at doing the laundry than my wife is, 100%. Guaranteed. <laughs> She's terrible at it. I'm a freaking awesome at it. And yet I had to give that up. And now what I'm trying to convince her to do is we need to hire a laundry specialist. Because you suck at it. My laundry's never done. And so I need to hire somebody that's a laundry specialist. Then I start thinking, well, how could I provide leverage in order to do like, how could I pay for that? Or I was thinking of the other day is that like we have to do like the school is moving further away. So I start thinking, well, why don't I buy a, like a Mercedes, one of those vans, you know, one of those like, like vans. real nice vans. And then I hire a driver and then I get like 10 parents together because we don't have a school bus system for our school. And why don't I figure out a way to provide some leverage? And that way I don't ever have to drive in the school and never have to do that. You know, so just thinking about ways, it starts to get fun. So remember, I wouldn't let my assistant open an account. Yeah. <laughs> and then it starts with you have your guy doing the, the tear parts, but then at some point you might not even do the fabrication. Yeah. <gasps> and you will love and smile, it's funny because smile, there, smile. there's people in our industry, probably that you don't know. Uh, one person that sticks out to me is Tom Miller. He is just he's become such a good, I mean, he'll rival Chip Foose in drawing into concept interiors and art. 
and then he has been able to kind of like migrate out of his fabrication position and then he can give a rendering to the guys that work below him for me mm -hmm. i'm not the same fucking artistic drawler right most of the stuff that i come up with in what i do is i would say 50 percent concept i know the equipment has to go here i know it could only fit here and then the rest of it is puzzle mm -hmm. piecing to finish it off together right layers on layers to finish everything to make it look complete so for me when it comes to the fabrication side of things to have somebody else get into my mindset i feel like that's just the hardest thing to try and figure out how to get to that finish line with somebody else being able to do the work you probably never will just like with me and, and like uh, i'm uh, i'm probably never going to find somebody to shop for products like mm -hmm. i do that when it comes down to it, that's the secret sauce yeah. of Obsessed Garage is my ability to um, trust my gut, find the product, and then and then even know what products to look for. Like looking for just weird crap that that most people don't don't care about. Like I've been chasing a uh, an amazing oil catch can, you know, the thing mm -hmm. that catches the oil underneath. The yeah. I found this company, Samson, uh, but I, I found them by jogging the halls at the Apex show at the other side of SEMA that nobody goes to before they even opened. And so there probably is never going to be able with somebody that's going to do that to the level that I can do it. Mm -hmm. um, but if I had like two or three people that were jogging the aisles of Apex and they knew, you know, they were kind of looking for stuff, they might get us like 95% of the way there someday. You can find the best person that gets you closest to what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so I think there's a way to eventually continue to promote yourself as you start to build an organization, uh, and then you know there most people like yourselves that are like solopreneurs and you add a couple of employees you kind of avoid it out of, because there's a lot of baggage that comes with all the humans and the expectations that they have on me. Um, and there's a lot of stuff like I don't, I'd rather not do that. I just want to go shopping for stuff, right? You just want to go and you build something. Mm -hmm. And so then you transition a bit. But I think the the pros and cons of either side of you doing everything and having all that weight versus including others and maybe picking up some of their baggage. It's like a, you have a little carry on versus a freaking giant dump truck filled with stuff when you're the solo guy. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah, you, you don't like that, you know, the baggage that people bring because it's their baggage. But I'm telling you, man, if you can start to you know work toward that, that life, it's we will never have this conversation about not having enough time. I'll tell you 100 percent that if you're serious about that offer, I might try and actually figure out how to make that happen even though that's something that I would generally never do. I think what we should probably do is I should probably introduce you to my coach, my business coach, because he can coach anywhere in the world. And you take the My Business course and um, it completely changed my life. You know, it, it's about the relationship side of things. You know, you, you don't have a problem with business. You don't have a problem with sales. Right, you don't have right. a problem with customers. You and I, we have a problem with other people. Yeah. Right. People that don't share the same passion, mm -hmm. your customers share the yeah, same passion. 100%. You're surrounding yourself with people that are just like you. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the, his tagline is, you know, business is an excuse to be in relationship. You know that you can have this building with computers and everything set up. But without the relationships of the humans in it, you don't have a business. You've got nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the the these concepts of, um, you know, figuring out where you're going wrong. 
um, and figuring out where your blind spots are and be being coachable has been the biggest you know change in my life because shoot I'd still be at freaking Merrill Lynch selling right. mutual funds, you know, if it were up to me. But because I listened to others, had you know, have had, I'm sure you've had some great mentors mm-hmm. as well in in the industry that have set a, a really great model for you, being open to you know the evolution of um, you know of of. I think again, I think leverage. Leverage is a is an is a mean word to use, but it's really including including others to include their talent and their skill set and 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 to to add something to it. Because you know, the CEO of Ford doesn't make the freaking board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he probably doesn't even know how it's made, but he's in charge of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Eventually you want to become the CEO of what it is you do and you're delivering on the product. Because it would be such a shame for you to just, you know, you break your, you know, you have a herniated disc and you can't do what you're doing anymore. It'd be such a shame for your talent to just disappear like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the conversation I have with detailers all the time about you don't your first like day one, you should be thinking about how you're never going to do this again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care how much you love it, I care how much you're polishing, how good you are at polishing. You should figure out so that you don't have to do it ever again. You know, that's the whole thing of the Seth's garage. Why I didn't call it Matt Mormon because, you know, Matt Mormon's garage. What happens if Matt Mormon's not here? I wouldn't, you know, it would be nice if it lived, you know, lived beyond, you know, and that, but that's a, that's, it takes a long time to build a brand that's, you know, that's outside of you. Uh, and it takes a lot of humbling and believing that, you know, shoot, I'm, maybe I'm not the best at laundry. Maybe I'm just, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really not very good at it at all. It's funny because I relate to everything that you're saying is because like my YouTube channel, my Instagram, I feel like I've built all the traction off of my actual name over my business name. So I've never migrated over to the business name. It's still been under my actual name. So my YouTube channel is under my actual name. Same thing with my Instagram. Yeah. And I feel like if I make that transition, it becomes... Am I losing people because I've, I've now migrated to something different? Maybe you don't need to do that, but maybe you just need somebody to help you do it. And always remember another really strong piece of advice I got uh, was um, when you pay someone's salary, we always think of it as I'm going to pay them 50 grand a year. No, you only got to pay them one month and then I got to pay them month two and I got to pay them month three. So can I come up with one month mm-hmm. and then can I, can I be, can I invest enough energy and time in that person to make sure that they are providing enough value to do three times what they cost Mm -hmm. in month one Mm -hmm. and then month two and then month three. So you take it one month at a time, not I'm going to pay this person $80,000 a year. I got to pay him $80,000 tomorrow. Of course we don't have, I don't have $80,000 right now, Mm -hmm. but I have 4,000. And so, um, Oh, shoot, I'm probably going to blow 4000 on some exhaust that I don't need for something stupid that I don't, you know, shouldn't have. So maybe I just forego that. I bring some human in and then I can buy $54,000 exhaust because that person just freed up all this time and generated all this money, all the, all the, all this income. But it's, you know, now I'm stuck with that person. Now I'm responsible for that person. Now when they're not happy, I'm not happy. So you you have to then sort of figure out how to manage that kind of stuff. That's been the biggest epiphany of my life. And it all came back to that goofy therapist who said, you need to let some people in. And I've been burned a hundred times, maybe a thousand times by I let everybody in. The very first subscribers on YouTube are the weirdest weirdos. 
and I invited them all. They were all at my house, you know, <laughs> I invited all these people to my house. They all ended up getting together, banding together and they all hated me. And they gathered some other people that eventually came back and said, Hey, we kind of got lumped in this group hating you for some reason. These are like people that like at my dinner table. Next thing I know, a year later, they're like banding together to create some, you know, not other obsessed garage thing. So there are some, you know, tons of mistakes along the way. So don't let me, don't let me trick you into saying that this is freaking easy because it's been hard as crap. Um, you're seeing, you know, now I'm what, seven years into having a coach and then involving others and including people into, I guess, eight years now, 2014, um, into, um, being humbled enough to realize that I'm really not all that good at anything and that I can probably find somebody better at all these things. But the key metric is not one person at obsessed garage, all 30 of them. The only person that can put it together is me. Mm-hmm. So we've had a couple people leave here recently and we don't skip a beat because we've, you know, that person wasn't like the everything. And that person had built a platform to train the next person. So when the next person comes in, they just go. But that, you know, that, so that takes some forethought. And so that's where you'll make your transition to doing when I still make videos every single day. So I'm still building the box. I'm still tuning the systems. I'm still doing that per se, you know, my proverbial tuning the system. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, all of everything else, I don't pay a bill. I don't do any marketing. I don't deal with the website. I don't take pictures. I don't create the product. I don't have to deal with HR questions. I don't uh, do anything. You know, I, and that's, but that's taken a long way. Just every day, give up something, give up. I don't even know how to pack the box. Like a couple black Fridays ago, I was trying to help. They're like, get out of here. You're screwing it up. <laughs> all wrong. I taught them how to pack the box. I created the whole darn thing and I don't even know how to do it anymore. Now, now they've evolved it to something even more efficient. <laughs> right. So Matt, maybe we get with, um, you know, with my business coach and I'll introduce you. It, he'll change your life. Uh, hey, I'm Gary, by the way. Nice to meet you, Gary. <laughs> Where are you? Are, are you in Virginia, too? I'm in California. Okay, gotcha. So how did you guys get together? Just through the industry, uh, knowing each other? Yeah, so Matt and I know each other because we both... Actually, I think the first time we met in person, we were teamed together on a build-off challenge at Mobile Solutions. Mobile Solutions is a business that's owned by a friend of ours that supplies like what you do for a garage he does for fabricators mm. he puts together all the templates and router bits and oh. router lifts and puts it all together in one spot where any fabricator shop could purchase this equipment literally the same yep. fucking concept but with fabrication yeah yeah right yeah it's, it's good it's good yeah. to have that resource you know yeah. And he does, he does trainings. And so I think the first time we, we actually met was we got paired on a build off team during a class we mm-hmm. were like instructors. And then we it was three sets console. of instructors that were like building off in the middle of the class for everybody to watch and, yeah, you know, yeah. competition and, and training all on the same thing. And, uh, we haven't Gary looked back. And I vibed well, because we're both the type of people where we like to s- see what happens like we're not afraid to fail we like to push the limit and see okay what's going to happen i'm not exactly sure what's going to happen but i'm going to learn from the experience right Mm, versus the people who like to be stuck in the predictable nature where where they're like i I know what the outcome is going to be and i'm i'm perfect with that 
I like the predictableness. Gary and I are the complete opposite where we'll push the limit and we'll like to try something extreme. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, but we'll probably figure out a way that it does work. That's the secret, man. That's the secret formula. I think to success in life is that ability to be willing to ship it, you know, Mm -hmm. be willing to to send it Mm -hmm. see what happens. Yeah. You know, but have enough. Yeah. You still need to be organized, meticulous, artistic, yeah. have all those 100%. good traits. Also have a bit of impulsiveness that you can then <laughs> try some things out. I think also that combination of just building upon, you know, you've pushed it in the in the past and not failed. You found a way to, to persevere and that yeah. gives you the confidence to keep pushing on the next one. And also the ability that if something does fail, that you can in a split second throw it in the trash and just get right back to the next crazy idea that you have and not not let it affect you. Because I've met many of the key. people that do what you do in, over the years and a lot of them are perfectionists and they just get stuck. Mm-hmm. And they can't. Yeah. They, they, they end up doing the same thing over and over again or they just screw around. I mean, how many, how many guys, um, and this is probably why you guys have been successful is that how many guys in car, you know, in, in the car world of install, the install side of things procrastinate, 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 and they have to pull six all nighters to get it over done at the end. Right. That's why I hate it so much. Like you guys have done nothing all day for like seven days straight. And now you have to stay up for three days straight. And they do it over and, and they're so unhealthy because then they have to like drink Red Bulls nonstop. And I hated that about the industry. It's so frustrating. Really quickly on Gary. I heard you mention oh. the Alpine F1 status early in the podcast. So yeah. Gary worked for Alpine for a long time right after not a not I a mean, long long a time, decent amount of time after a few the F1 years. status kind of came into the into the business yeah and all the concept cars that you saw at CES and SEMA Gary ended up taking upon that challenge with Alpine you had Steve yeah. Brown cool. and Chris Yato in the early days and then yep. uh, Gary yep. joined the team in the time in which yeah it's like oh oh five oh six just after the f1 so mike vu who now works for rivian actually mike vu and steve had built the x5 for the relaunch of f1 in i think that was about oh five and then i came on and yeah i came on in oh six ish and yeah did the sinister six and the uh rls and the boat original f1 was like early 90s right early mid 90s yeah yeah yep because i had sourced one of those for a system that i had in my uh 99 civic i had a you know, the original alpine f1 head unit nice. it wasn't called yep. f1 but it was like the equivalent of what was f1 right. at the time it was the Except six button, yeah. button yeah 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 yep. yeah so yeah that's that's gary's background that. so he's done some pretty oh, cool pretty cool <laughs> Then, then jogged around into some other stuff and yeah now we do about 50 percent car audio and 50, well 50 percent just kind of manufacturing stuff some of that is display work and he's and, in orange california uh, some of it is proto prototyping yeah i'm like 10 minutes south of disneyland oh gotcha so, cool so if you ever come this way <laughs> yeah i was out there um uh, mcguire's is out there out your way oh yeah Yep. So I, I, I have buddies at McGuire's that um, I've, I've been out there to visit. And then um, Projet is also there. Projet is a blender of a lot of detailing chemicals. So I buy some stuff from Projet. 
well, I mean, there's a boatload of you know, everything's in Southern California. It seems I know, right? like to do with awesome detailing. Anytime yeah. Gary needs anything, he's like, "Hey, I need to get this vinyl, this whatever, or Amazon, whatever it is." Yeah. It's either next door in like literally right. Chip Foose's upholstery <laughs> guy is next door in the building yeah. next to, yeah. next to Gary, like literally the other side of the wall. But yeah, so he is yeah. so spoiled with everything, and I have to wait all this time yeah. to get anything that I need in Delaware, which most people don't even recognize as a state in the United States. Yeah, but you don't pay sales tax, so that's nice. And that is the key to a lot of clients shipping their cars from all over the place. Because again, if a guy from California, right, is spending 50 grand on an audio system, the fact that they don't have to spend sales tax, that's free shipping. To Delaware. Yeah. Yeah. It pays for the pays for the shipping. So I have a nine nine two GT three touring. I have a um pretty sick like thousand mile um um Interlagos blue E ninety two M three, you know, the single hump manual car. I um I have a Rivian coming. I have a Gen two Raptor. Uh and um I'm thinking probably um, I'd like to get the 718 GT4 RS. Which of those cars should I do a system in and what should I do? It's <laughs> a good question. Answer First answer is you should put a system in all of them, of course. That's a good question. I would say that if you is your goal for the system something to just get out on the road and drive and enjoy music in or is it because you feel like you should, or, I mean, are you yeah, really going to use it? Your function. I don't care. I like, I like the OE look as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So I'm not looking to show. I do not like, and I know you guys use it all. I do not like Focal Utopia. It's too bright for me, too thin, too bright. <laughs> we, we knocked the Focal right out of those. It's Got really it. easy with the DSP now. It's, it's just like tuning an ECU on a car. Mm-hmm. You, that's like that's like saying, "Hey, that polish leaves swirl marks." I just can't. I, there's something about Focal in general. I'm just, ta- I just, Matt, I'm telling you right now. It's because you haven't heard them Matt, done I'm right. Right now, if <laughs> I sat you in, we, we've heard if it I too. sat you in a car with Utopia mm-hmm. M, right, done correctly. Yep. Because again, mm-hmm. however you heard it tuned is completely irrelevant to whatever I'm talking about. Much like. The detail game, somebody using a polisher, using this wax, like it's irrelevant unless it's done correctly. Mm-hmm. So you hearing it too yeah. bright means the fucking installer didn't know what he was doing with the DSP and you perceived it too yeah. bright. Right. And the the combination there is that they are unforgiving speakers. And if they are not dialed in correctly, you will know that they are not correct. But when done correctly, they have a level of detail that is very hard to match. And if you think back to, I know, I think I heard you mention Dyn Audio at some point. Yep. If you think of like, if you picture sound in your brain and you, you've you obviously had experience with this stuff, if you picture the sound of a Dyn or a Morel that has that laid back sound, mm-hmm. and in your mind you picture a Focal tweeter as being bright and harsh, mm-hmm. it's so much easier for me to make that Focal to basically dull it down, right? And and pull some of that out of it. But you could never put that Focal brightness into that dyne. Right. And sure. you could never put that, mm-hmm. that and it's what you're hearing is detail, right? You're hearing that hard dome tweeter mm-hmm. and you, 
you have to be careful with it. You don't take a kid and have him take his first swings off a Nolan Ryan fastball. So is it right? That, is it that Utopia M is invested because they've invested more than anybody else? So that the driver tech, like it's just better. Like, because if I love the sound signature, like just the just the, the out of the box sound signature of a Dyn Audio, wouldn't I be better off you doing you working your magic on a Dyn Audio than a speaker that I don't like out of the box? It's it's a two way combination. So it's it's the tune and the car. When you're listening to music in a car, you're listening to a lot of reflections. Right. You're listening in an environment that's not second, it's, third, it's or, not right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and a ton of comb filtering. Basically, you have a bunch of frequencies that are in phase and then out of phase and in phase and out of phase. And that's what, that's why it's very difficult to get a car to sound like a, a good set of bookshelves, right? Like you, you take the environment out of the equation and everything becomes really simple. So in a car, it's, it's about getting those levels right. And that's totally dependent on how much reflected energy you actually have and where that speaker placement is. And then in relationship to the mid range driver. And mm -hmm. if you're using, you know, if you're using a two way versus a three way, there's a lot that goes in there to, to really give it that sound signature. So the speakers themselves, when Matt and I look at it, the speakers are the least important part of all of it. Sure. I know nobody wants to hear that, right? But yep. in the same way that I'm going to I'm going to put it right into your world. You could give a great detailer product from Pep Boys and he's going to do a better job than I am with your best stuff. Sure. Yep. Makes sense. Right? And it's 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 the golfer, it's the right. swing, it's not right. the club, it's not the ball, but no golfer wants to use a shitty club or a shitty ball. All right, so let's do my E92. That's, that's the car I'd be most likely to do. I just sold my E92 last year. So what should, what, what what would we do? No, so knowing this is I this is a well, you know $150,000 E92, probably one of the best in the world. And I'm about to molest it by tearing it apart. So I don't want to be cutting <laughs> stuff, chopping things apart and re, you know, re fiberglassing. So but I want great. What would we do there and what would it cost? You taking it matter it's just is this a real life or is this a is no, are like, we we just having fun this, playing you know ship it up to you right now let's uh, I'm, I'm thinking it's, about this like i would love so, to have a great audio system in that car i would love that. it's a good car for audio it really is so yeah. it's tweeter tweeter in the mm -hmm. in the pillar yep. or not in the pillar in sale, the in the sale panel and then the the three and a half four inch driver in the top of the door and then the under seats yeah i mean there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good speaker options for for Maddie. I know Maddie. Maddie leans towards the Focal. He's going right to the Utopias. Don't even play around. I mean, it, it's one of those things that, like I said, once you understand what works, you use all the time, and that's like your business model. You've tried everything else. Obviously, everything has mm -hmm. to fit in a certain budget. Like, like if you're a client coming to me, we always establish a budget, and then for me, I'm trying to get the best return on your investment on that budget. So I'm utilizing all of the different equipment available at certain price points and picking same concept that you do, the best equipment that's going to work for that price point based on all the things that I've used over the years and understand what provides the best value. And after, after COVID, we've had a ton of manufacturers reprice our equipment. What I've projected pre-COVID isn't the same value as it is post COVID. So like everything shifts based on budget of what you're going to get for X amount of dollars. 
So let's let me pose this this to you. My my customer now, you know, friend John, as um, um, he built a garage, you know, based on our recommendations, right? Mm-hmm. So he said um, he said, look, I'll let you video this if you'll do it, and we'll just do what we need to do. There was no number, but we'll just do what we need to do, not just waste money, mm-hmm. right? So we didn't just waste. Uh, but he basically just gave me his Amex and we just charged whatever we needed to charge mm-hmm. to do what needed to be done. Exactly. So in an E92 M3, thinking of it that way, not mm-hmm. let's just yeah. tear the car apart and rebuild, right. just do stupid stuff. Let's do what we need to do to make it great. What does that look right. like? Right, because most of my clients are just like what you're saying, where the things that I'm thinking about in my head when designing a system is, okay, it needs to be serviceable. It needs to be functional, right? There's still going to be a daily driver. We're not tearing up the dash and putting speakers in dramatically huh. different locations to make it right. that advantageous to get the quality. I'm doing it in a practical sense, right? So obviously the underseat woofers, you know, in my opinion, those woofers for me would sound better if I were to build door pods and have a traditional speaker in a door or a speaker in a kick panel other than under the seat, because there's certain frequencies that are gonna be obstructed that are important by it being under the seat. I mean, it's just fact. Mm -hmm. And same thing with the mid-range speaker, right? So if you're sitting there in your driver's seat driving, when you're in the driving position, you're gonna be obstructing a lot of that mid-range. So that mid-range is better suited in a pillar unobstructed by a person, which is constantly Mm -hmm. moving where the image is going to perhaps shift depending on how much you're moving. There's a lot of things that when I break down the sales process with clients, we try and figure out the happy medium, their budget, their expectations, and their goals of the actual audio system. So in a BMW, it's a little bit for me more challenging than most cars based on how the factory constructs that system. Can you still get a great sounding car with the factory locations? Absolutely. Is Utopia M going to be your best friend in that situation? Absolutely. Because the off access response of those speakers are going to be much greater than a lot of other speakers on the market, right? Because they actually make those speakers to have a great off access response, which is what you would have in those factory locations. I'm really fighting this like i just don't believe that i could like vocal utopia i just don't one thousand percent so (laughs) i promise you if you sat in a Uh, car that i did vocal utopia m in i'm just afraid that you you would have an out-of-body experience and listen i know how prideful you are i know how passionate Mm -hmm. you are you know what you know at the same time i know how much i know and I know that there's no fucking way, because the reference that I have is pretty great when it comes to audio. There's no mm-hmm. way you would sit in one of these cars and not be look over at me and be like, this is probably the fucking greatest experience I've ever had sitting in a car. All right, so we're dancing around. How much is this going to cost me to do this? So so the, the big question, right, yeah. becomes if you're willing to do the fabrication up front and deal with a modified A-pillar, 
with speakers up there versus using factory locations. And that decision alone is way more important than the drivers 100%. or the amplifiers that we yeah. pick. That's that's the question that needs to be answered. If you want the car to look stock, there's a certain level you can get. And keep to. in mind, you can still make it and look stock there's... by doing a pillars. Like you've seen the stuff I've posted. Like you can take the yeah. same DNA and incorporate it into the a pillars. I've done a few BMWs where I use the same exact pattern of mesh that they use in the grill pattern in the a pillar. So sitting in the car, you have no yeah, in idea. Fact, you could probably even get the factory factory grill for the mid yeah. to work and is it um reversible yeah you would just buy new mm. a pillars from the factory and call it a day put everything back to factory yeah just keep the ones i have and then you know and buy order new a fresh set yeah, yeah order ones for you to do so so i'm do so you're doing what's the utopia tweeters just a one inch they're it, the only downside they're, is that it's it's weird. an yeah, it's an oblong shape. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the factory sail panels, it takes a modification. You kind of have to deconstruct the inside of that sail panel, remold it for the Utopia speaker. But I've done plenty in the factory sail panel. So you're doing an eight-inch low-frequency driver in the door, none in the trunk? Under the seat, in the case of what you have, without modification. And no, no um, enclosure in the trunk? So yeah, you would definitely have some sort of subwoofer in the trunk. Okay. Hey, I have a uh, fiberglass enclosure for, I think a single 12 that goes in the passenger side rear fits right in mm. that I got for my E92 that I sold before I put a system in it. Just saying, that's the easy way out. Um, you could definitely add more more base than that, but it does load well in that rear corner. Mm. Like I said, everything yeah. everything is a balance, right? So like if you're doing something in the trunk, it's how do we create the most base while not having the resonance build up in the trunk, right? How do we not have the yeah. trunk rattle? How, right. do, how do we not have panels rattle? So airflow becomes a very big key in that and having some sort of a pass-through, which a lot of times that's keyhole, you can have that down and then build some sort of a grill that looks OEM into that area so air can then move from the trunk into the cab mm -hmm. without having that resonance built up in the trunk so you have tweeter mid-range in the up of the dash like up like the like i see you doing teslas yeah. right that are molding there right and then you have uh like eight inch mid-range driver in the door or no mid-base under the seat in the factory location that gotcha. would be without okay. the modification. Yeah. yeah, the door could be rebuilt or the kick panel could be done for the mid-base, which is a better location. But again, you, you're fighting the but it also comes reversibility. To re return and, on your yeah. investment, right? How much money am I spending to rebuild the lower part of the door versus having right. the factory underseat location? You know, what is the differential in that and is it worth it, right? That's, right. that's like your whole biz business model is, is it worth it based on your experience? That's what clients are asking me. Is it worth it? Like I haven't rebuilt very many BMW lower doors. I can still make it sound unbelievable with the factory location. But at the same time, once we start climbing that ladder and trying to figure out the weak points of how this system is developed, that's going to be a weak point. So at what point are we going to yeah, overcome that hurdle to not have that be a weak point there becomes a there becomes a point where we're trading off the elements of sound quality which we will say are tonality stage width 
stage depth, mm-hmm. um, detail, and volume. So the underseat speaker location does well up to a certain volume. Then it's just creating, it, it's basically an infinite baffle setup that runs throughout the mm-hmm. inner skeleton of the car. And you just get to a point and there's things that start to rattle. The seatbelt tensioner exactly. starts yeah. to rattle. There's like there's plastic parts that will start to resonate. And then there's a certain amount of time. And we'll just remember time is money. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a certain amount of time that you spend chasing those things down, some of which you can fix, some of them that you can't. But that will be the limiting factor of that underseat. We we lose just a hair on detail. We lose we lose a hair on volume compared to a lot of work to change that speaker location. That's the the balancing act there, the trade-off. Again, everything is a trade-off. Keep in mind, Matt, when you're sitting in your driver's seat, right? And you're you're sitting there, you're looking straight, and your eyes are shut and you're listening to whatever your whatever song you're listening to, which we'll get to at the end, because we always ask people what song are you playing when you're trying to evaluate an audio <laughs> system. But when you're sitting there and you're listening to everything, the subwoofer that's in the back should sound like it's playing from the center of the hood, much like sure. where the you know the kick drum would be and the, the drummer would be or the bass guitar or whatever. And then when you're listening to everything, you should have a wide stage, right? So like mirror to mirror, if better, past the mirrors, the side mirrors. And all of that detail should be at a very exclusive spot on the dashboard, right? So if you're listening to Pink Floyd Money and you're listening to the middle of the song, right? So the, the breakdown of everything happening at once and there's so many things happening, everything should have its own place and time on the dashboard. Nothing should overlap. Not one thing should overlap on each other, which that's what mm-hmm. most people are used to, like hearing everything on top of each other. Everything should have its own place and time where if your eyes are shut and you're looking straight, Everything you're listening to is at a different spot on your dashboard that has an amazing width and then has a great depth. And the sub that you know is in the back sounds like it's coming from the hood, right? Sure. And when you get into those mid-bass underneath the seats, the problem you start generating when you're trying to have a ton of mid-bass is like it'll start rattling the seatbelt tensioner. And the second you hear that seatbelt tensioner rattle, you're locating it to the location of the speaker and it ruins the sound stage. So that's what we Mm -hmm. start talking about, like diminishing returns and not having it be as great as it could be when it's in a kick panel where it's like in the strongest part of the car, the most reinforced part of the car. You're not getting that. And resonance. also in the best loading yeah. location, just like corner loading a subwoofer in your house. Sure. Yep. You're you're loading it in that corner and it's it's as good as you're gonna get. It's the get same concept. So it comes down location. to how obsessed, right? I keep using this term because it's <laughs> adequate for this podcast. How obsessed are you with perfect sound quality? Do you want it to be perfect based on how the car because every car is gonna have its limiting expectations, right? I can't make your BMW sound like a open SUV where there is no trunk and that air is just moving throughout the cab, right? I just, mm-hmm. I can't do it. But how perfect do you want it to sound for the car that you're in? Cause at the end of the day, when you go to a movie theater, whatever equipment they install in there, they're tuning the equipment for the room, right? And in car audio, much like you said with Utopia M being bright, 
that's irrelevant. We're tuning the equipment for the room. So if you're hearing mm -hmm. the Utopia M is bright, it means that the person tuning the car didn't take the room into the consideration, right? Because it shouldn't sound bright. They probably didn't put a microphone yeah. in the car. There, There is one super important question we forgot to start off with, and that is, how much do you care what it sounds like from the passenger seat? Zero. Okay, good. Yeah, it's that makes our life a lot, a lot simpler. Yeah, zero. Um, is there rear fill in these? Do you just take the speakers off the rear deck, or do you put something there? So there's there's kind of two there's two things that we put kind of at the end of the list of priorities that can still add to the system and done correctly. The rear fill speakers can make the car sound bigger. Mm -hmm. It can, it, it, instead of listening to a tiny little set of bookshelves, it sounds bigger, like a set of, you know, outdoor monitors. Right. Mm -hmm. And the rear speakers can add to that. The other thing that, that can be done in that car is there's a factory center channel location. So you can add a center to it, which would be way more important if you cared how it sounded in both seats. Mm -hmm. um, just because of the way the delays are set up in a two seat car versus a one seat, um, that center channel really helps. I would put both of those way down on the list of if we're trying to stay at a certain price point. And the reason being is that to add those rears in, we need two more channels of DSP and we need two more channels of amplification plus the speakers. And that's if we do a coax speaker. If we go to a higher end two-way in the rear, now we need four channels in the rear mm -hmm. of DSP and four channels of amplification. And if you look at it real quick that we're going to have six speakers in the front of the car and a woofer, that's an eight-channel DSP, readily available, lots of options. And that eight-channel DSP chip is, is common there's not a whole lot of 10 channel DSPs. We're right. starting to get some 12 channels. There's some 16 channels, but if we have to start getting into having multiple DSPs, it really starts to push up the labor hours as far as tuning and, and just more complicated systems. So the, what do you do about head unit processor? So factory head mm -hmm. unit, almost on every modern day car, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, like you said, BMW. So there's Nav TV, there's MoBridge. There's a lot of companies that make factory amplifier interfaces. So that factory amp mm -hmm. comes out, the most network connects directly into this new, I would just say module, right? And then that gives you analog or digital output to your DSP. That's going to give you a perfect 20 to 20 K signal that doesn't have the crossover points or any of the crap that the factory does. And it's essentially turning your factory radio into an aftermarket radio. And you even have the ability to control the chime volume, the parking distance control volume, all of that stuff in BMWs. And then I can do, then I just connect to that with my phone, like through yep. MUA or, mm -hmm. Or, you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah, if so I had some FLAs. Obviously, well, you could connect to the factory radio and have that as a preset, right? So everything yeah. that the factory does, your new audio system can do. So you lose sure. nothing yeah. in functionality. And then obviously there is a step above that to where you could then connect your AppDex HD capable phone to the yeah. processor with the Bluetooth chip while simultaneously mm -hmm. being connected to your BMW, right? 
So you're connected to two Bluetooth sources at the same time. You have your phone sending the information of what you're listening to to your factory radio. So you see you're playing yep. Bruno Mars 24 karat magic on your radio. And you can hit track forward, track back, all that kind of stuff, just like you can from the factory. But that audio, mm -hmm. you know, much like if, if you connect to stuff at home, you could then say, I want to direct the audio to the DSP chip. So now you're skipping the factory audio system. You're connected to yep. the DSP chip that is Aptex HD capable. And now you're getting a better bandwidth communication to that Bluetooth module. But mm -hmm. you're not losing any functionality other than using the steering wheel control volume in that in that aspect. You would have to use the DSP controller to control the volume because mm -hmm. obviously the volume is now going through something other than the factory DSP. And then to take so, a step so above I can do that, like yeah, you could do title anything on your phone. And then a step title above MQA. that, yeah, a step above that would be using like a legitimate player that is made to play the best audio possible, right? Which would be like I an Astell and Kern that would have mm, better DACs built in that would then give you better separation with depth, all this stuff that we've preached talking to you 20 minutes ago on the yeah. audio, right? So there's no... Which of course, no one does. I'm not going to do that. Right. Most people won't do that, right? But... If I A, B, C compare, so I A, the factor radio, B, Bluetooth on your phone, C, mm -hmm. the Sastel and Kern playing analog out, there'd be no, like you could put a grandmother in the car who doesn't give two fucks about audio and she would be like, oh my God, like this, she could tell the difference, right? You don't have to be an audiophile. You don't have to be trained. You don't have to be anything. You would understand the width is wider, the depth is deeper, and the separation is a lot more prevalent on something like that. So you can see my affinity here with my next question. I'm going to tell myself here, I love the gear. What's the amplifier? Are we Audison? Are we Moscone? Are we, what are we, what are we doing here? Well, most Genesis. of those, most of those people make great stuff, right? So, you know, I can only speak to what I carry. Gary can only speak to what he carries. I believe in the brands that I've had, much like your tweeter days, you know, you probably sold. And it's funny too, because like when we break down sales, the greatest salespeople believe in the product, right? Period. Mm -hmm. If, if salespeople who didn't sell very much could only believe in the best product, they'd be the best fucking salespeople in that product. <laughs> right? Because at the end of the mm -hmm. day, when you talk and you exude the passion for the products that you believe in, that you know work, there's nobody on the planet that isn't going to buy that product. You could come in with a $300 budget and leave with a $3,000 amp based on you articulating why that's, why that's better, right? That's like your whole mm -hmm. business model, right? You've done the research to, articulate to people why to not buy a through x and then you're telling people to buy everything through z based on your experience and your trial and tribulations and everything that you've experienced in the industry 
So you're not telling them, tell me what I'm buying. I want to know. <laughs> so if it's, if it's pillars and we'll just say pillars under their utopia, utopia M's well, we or might all Morel. Have different answers because like I said, we're all, we well, all sell different stuff, but at the end of the day, I mean, there is a, there is a time when diminishing returns happen. Right. So, you know, my next yeah. two jobs, like I'm doing a, ZL1 Callaway Camaro now, where I'm doing all Brax amplifiers and Brax DSP, Brax speakers. And that Brax DSP is how much? $7,000 for the DSP. $7,000 for each amplifier. We're using three of them. And then we mm -hmm. have all the Brax speakers. So at the end of the day, this install is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of like 80K, right? And then after that, we're doing uh, two cars from Scottsdale, Arizona, which it's the same client, but I was, I was smart, Matt, you're going to enjoy this because from a sales perspective, like we have this, we just got back from an event called Master Tech Expo where a bunch of us fabricators and salespeople, we get together at this event and they kind of show all the techniques for sales for fabrication, for all sorts of stuff. And that's where we did the podcast with Chip. And essentially one car is gonna get all one brand, the highest end. One other car of his is gonna get all the other highest brand. So there's two separate brands. He's getting the best of both. And at the next year's Master Tech Expo, I can have one car in one booth and one car in the other booth. Cause like What's I said, the other brand? Right, we'll be able right to hear the, the difference. So the other brand is going to be Focal, <laughs> Utopia, uh, and mm -hmm. Moscone, which I typically use all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, the value that I see is like after the Focal Moscone combination, which I still feel is the best combination. And again, this is a non-sponsored podcast, right? So nobody pays mm -hmm. us to do this podcast, which you'd probably look down on. We don't get any money from this podcast. No, yeah, I don't get any paid yeah, by anybody yeah. either. So. so, and the reason we do that is so we can stay organic and say what's on our mind. But for me, that's the best combination of equipment. Anytime you go above that, you're paying a lot to receive not a lot in return. So mm -hmm. this Camaro ZL1, I will say organically, is gonna be the first time I'm using all Brax which is a German company, Audiotech Fisher. It's like the Ferrari of audio equipment from this company. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the first time I've used it. So I don't have a say in where that measures up, but I will say the Focal Moscone combination is very special. And I've, dude, I've listened to so many cars at industry events and Gary and I joke about this all the time. Like, I don't like sitting in cars at industry events just because I'm, you can tell what's on my mind, right? So I can't bullshit. I can't be like, oh, it sounded great <laughs> if it didn't sound sound great. So I generally don't listen to cars at, at events because if it doesn't fit my expectations, then you're going to know. For me, that combination of equipment is pretty much the echelon of anything that I've ever listened to based on how I've tuned it and set it up and all that kind of stuff. So I do this on my E92. We do under seat, do the pillars, 
we do skip the center channel. Mm-hmm. We do the rear agree, fill. Agree. Do Moscone, uh, uh, Moscone Focal Combo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, what would we have? A single 12, dual 10? What do you have in the trunk? It's weird too, because like we get in these kicks of installers, right? So I've done a lot of dual 10 Utopia M10 subwoofers. So, mm-hmm. I mean, probably if you go through my build log of the last couple of things that I've done, I've done dual 10s and almost everything that I've done. And mm-hmm. Matt, I'm telling you, when you sit down and listen, and I can play the Astell and Kern all day long and play music and you'd be like, that sounds amazing. But once I play like YouTube, Tiny Desk, NPR concerts, I put that phone on the center of your dashboard, you're sitting in your driver's seat, and you're listening and you're seeing in real time the people on your display, on your iPhone, right? On your dashboard in the center of your car. And every instrument is exactly as you perceive it on your phone. Mm-hmm. It's like a mind-blowing sure. experience, right? So you're seeing the electric guitar to the far right. And there's no deception that it's to your left or in the center. Like it is exactly where you're hearing it. I feel like you have this connection with what you're listening to that you're like, this is legitimate. And then you hear the kick drum and the kick drum, you know, your subs are way well behind you, but those Mm -hmm. subs sound like they're coming from beyond the singer, what you can see on the display, you know, on your phone. So, in the trunk area, it's is it all in the floor? Where's all this stuff? Where are we putting all this stuff? Yeah, I think you're gonna you're gonna probably. I, I, my guess is Matt's gonna lean towards putting the box and then letting it fire into the ski hole. Yeah. In in that case, yeah. So I've done a few BMWs like that, to where I've done two subs in the back up firing, and then I have the ski hole down. Uh, an aesthetic pass through, and then obviously things can vent through the rear grills on the top deck. Yeah, and then amps in the floor mm-hmm. probably. You might need to raise the floor just a hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, like I said, it all depends on your goals, your budget, because like I said, I've done a that series BMW to where I did two amps underneath the subwoofer enclosure to where there's a magnetic panel that you could remove that was the front of the subwoofer enclosure to where you can service the amplifiers if there was an issue. But you could put the amp panel back on to hide everything and it looked built in and the subs were firing up. And then the back seat ski hole was down. Obviously air could then move in that direction. So roughly how much does this cost? So that one that I so, did so I have probably it sketched. around 30 to 40K. So yeah, I have, I have it sketched Matt with a, Aerospace 12 channel DSP, uh, the class A 430 Moscone running the three and a half and tweeter in the pillars, and then a five channel for the left and a five channel for the right running the mid base, left rear fill, and mid base, right rear fill. All active, of course, mm-hmm. done through DSP, through mm-hmm. yep. DSP. Yep, sub channel, one on each woofer, three amps, one processor. I think is that's the most efficient way to get you all the power. So you're 30 or 40,000. Let's say I hired you today. I shipped the car. 
when and how long, you know, how, 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 how it went, when. <laughs> Here's the hard Quarter part. four of 2023. <laughs> I mean, minimum. It wouldn't be, yeah. any, it wouldn't okay. be anytime soon. Got it. I would love to get you in tomorrow, but I just, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah. We're just throwing hypotheticals out yeah. here, you know, and then, and then you would know, don't fricking touch my paint. Yep. Don't scratch the outside. Don't wipe it down. Don't yep. freaking mess it up. Yeah. Seriously, I would love for you to sit in a car that is done correct because I know that you would appreciate the end result. Sure. Because sure. a, a lot of the analogies that I make all the time is like the modern audio client is picture the 1998 human that has a DLP TV that just bought it. Right, the enthusiast, the obsessed person that just bought a six thousand dollar DLP TV. Right, picture mm-hmm. that person. That's you. You have that TV in your house. Now picture you being locked in your house until now. You haven't left your house <laughs> since nineteen ninety eight when you bought that DLP TV. And now mm-hmm. picture leaving your house and going to your local movie theater and watching eight K laser projection. Right. Yeah. Your head would explode. Right. Based mm-hmm. on the difference. Mm-hmm. When you left your house, you thought that that was the best of the best. But when you leave and experience something different, you realize that you didn't actually know anything much like you've alluded to multiple I, times in this podcast. Right. I, I told this, <laughs> Matt, I told this story to Gary, Gary Biggs at, at master tech. About 15 years ago, my wife and I were at my parents' house and came across our old, my old Atari 2600. And we, you know what, this was 20 years ago, not 15, 20 years ago. And we took it home and we plugged it into our DLP Mm -hmm. or our, uh, or uh, was it a deal? I don't know, whatever it was, our big, our big deep TV. And um, projection Mitsubishi probably. Yeah, rear rear projection. And tried to play Atari for about four minutes until we were like, how did we ever look at this? How did this ever seem like something you would be entertained by? And that was 20 years ago and we were already like so far past. So cars today and the tuning capabilities, we've gone from carburation to fuel injection with Mm -hmm. the ability to dial things in and make them run super efficient. And I guarantee you a, a, engine tuner today could make a car run way cleaner with no catalytic converters and no you know pcv systems and none of that stuff in place they could still get the car to run way cleaner than anybody ever could with a carburetor mm-hmm. so i get, I get the, what you're throwing the, out it's it's a game changer and it's it is different and in my mind better than it's ever been and there's nothing that i enjoy better than taking somebody like you that puts their hopes and wishes of wanting better onto somebody like myself and me doing the project and then you listening to the car and being like, holy shit, there is something better, right? Mm. Because again, I, yeah. I know what you're thinking. I know the type of person you are based on talking to you and understanding your background and listening to the, you talking to other people at other times. There is always that sense of like, nobody can really do it better than I've experienced. And once you experience that you're truly humbled and like, Holy shit, there's a whole other side to this that I had no idea about. 
The the other side too is that as much as what we just threw down on paper is a thirty to forty thousand dollar system, is that there are significant steps between that stock system that's in there now and that we'll just call it a forty thousand dollar system. It's really easy to tailor that back, and like we were talking about, that jump point becomes when you are not going to use the factory locations Mm -hmm. and the point where you're you're. You're wanting to go with the, uh, what's a set of Utopia tweeters these days, Matt? Is it? It's like two grand just for the tweeters. Two two grand just for the tweeters, right? And and to put that in perspective, you can get a set of Morel Carbon Elite Pros, which are great speakers, and a whole three way set is twenty seven hundred, mm. right? And you're you're we're committing two grand just to tweeters, and the difference between them. It, Yes, if both were in front of anybody and they were both free, most people are going to gravitate to the yeah. utopias. But there's a lot of there's a lot of choices. That's what makes our our job almost as hard as a detailer's job. You, how many polishes and waxes and compounds and how many steps does it take to get a car paint corrected and put the final shine on it? And there are guys that can do that in a three-step process, and there's guys that will take a twenty-step mm-hmm. process to get there. Hundred percent. And you know, we're kind of in that same boat. That uh, again, you want the right golfer coming up and taking that swing for you, right? Right. Yep. No matter what clubs he's going to use, no matter what ball he puts on the tee. Yeah, I think I, you know, I, I, I get, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, now older, I've heard some great systems, you know, as. And, and so I think I know where you're going with like, and I've seen your stuff and part of the reason why I even decided to do this podcast is because I know I, I have a, a frame of reference for what I'm looking at, you know, and I, I think those are the customers you're looking for. Like, I don't, I haven't listened to it. I don't know exactly what it's going to sound like. It's certainly likely to blow me away, but I, I kind of have a reference for, I mean, how do you convince somebody to spend 40 grand on a system? Mm-hmm. You know, well, I could do it for 10. You know, I could do it for five and at the same for th- 18 and at the same thing, most of it is sight unseen. Right. So like the, the Scottsdale, Arizona guy that I have shipped me his next two cars, Lamborghini or his Tesla plaid sight unseen, never stepped foot in the facility, but he's going off of YouTube videos, people's testimonials yep. on our website. He's seeing the, the people's testimonials of the YouTube videos that he's seen on YouTube. So not only he's mm. seen the YouTube video, but he's also seeing the words of the people who got the jobs done. And a lot of these people have half million dollar in home audio. And they're like, yeah. this is better than my home audio system. The shitty thing about my position, I have to exceed this guy's expectations. So that's what I deal with on a daily basis is always from a fabrication standpoint, from a sound quality standpoint, how do I exceed this person's expectations, right? You sent a car mm-hmm. to me. How do I exceed Matt Mormon's expectations in audio? At the end of the day, I know that you, this other client with the Eurus and the Plaid, has probably never heard anything remotely close to what he's going to experience. So I can mm, right. I can keep talking myself up for four hours to you on the podcast, but at the end of the day, that's not going to even exceed what you're going to get when you listen to the car. Cause most people are, are reference referencing a DLP TV 
when in reality, 8K laser projection is the standard of today. So why are you accepting the fact that you can't do a car for like seven or eight months? Why don't we figure out a way to get you so you could do it now? Because it's <laughs> it's it's bandwidth. It takes me a long time to do. I get that, but how do we car. add bandwidth? And that's that's why I need to talk to you for a fucking self coach <laughs> to yeah. accentuate my bandwidth. Yes. That is what I need. I need to figure out how to scale and how to exceed my bandwidth. And that's what I struggle with. And that's what I know mm -hmm. that you've excelled with. Hey, it's expensive to ship to California, but we're we're only about 12 weeks out. So 12 weeks, that's still unacceptable. <laughs> you want your garage designed? We'll have it done like in a couple of days. Yeah. Let's do it. Oh, we, we already designed your system though. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> but you're saying you actually complete the garage in a yeah. reasonable amount of time. Well, I don't install it. I just... I, I don't do yeah. that. I don't do that part. And yeah. that's what I need to learn from you because you were me a long time ago, but I'm still stuck as me. <laughs> and I need to understand how to get to where you're at. Well, part of it would involve you installing systems for yourself to show what can be done. And see, the problem with car stereo is that it can't be DIY, right? So you can't scale that part of it. Um, it would have to be involved some version of you, you know, training other installers how to get some percentage of what you're able to create, you know, some The funny thing percentage. is too, like we actually bought a Tesla Model 3 as our shop car and I got a bunch of manufacturers to donate product to the build because most of the YouTube videos that I do, I show pretty much the end result and build pictures along the way to show how I got there. Right. Mm -hmm. So I actually did like a 12 part series on YouTube that I haven't posted yet because the car's not done, but <laughs> it's a Tesla model three. And I showed how to do the radar, how to do the design, how to do the audio, how to do the sound treatment, how to do, you know, the disassembly, everything, like all the most mundane stuff that would get a lot of views because people would be interested in because it's the stuff that I never show on any build. But the problem is, is I got 75% of the way in, but now I have all these super high paying jobs that pay the bills that I just can't put to the side because at the end of the day, I have to pay the bills. Here's an example of where I think you can really make some some you know life improvements of um, when the coach when the business coach says okay we've got to put on the calendar two three hour meetings you know in this month and then you should really join the group of other business owners that's another you know two hour meeting on a Wednesday morning. And what most business owners, what most of the unsuccessful, you know, scaling that are unsuccessful at growing or scaling their business do is they always have something where they can't make, you know, two of those three meetings where they don't do it. So they don't they don't make the commitment to it. And so or or another big mistake can be you hire somebody to help you, but you don't make the commitment to the hire. Right. You don't commit to training them to doing what needs to be done. And so this is where the tricky part comes in and, and where I was so lucky because I was broken and I was committed to whatever, you know, just like do, do whatever. So I got lucky in that aspect. When I hired a coach, 
I was a broken human, so I needed to be fixed. Um, but if you can figure out a way to, um, you know, I, I see this. So, so the, the Wednesday morning group uh, is, is a classic example. I, I have the most successful business out of anybody in the group. And I'm always there early. I'm always like not always paying attention. I'm not distracted. I'm not like picking up the phone. And yet the least successful person is always the one who's driving in their car right while the meeting's already going the least successful person misses like every third meeting because they've got something so important to do some appointment they couldn't get out of the least successful person is the one that you know has to turn their screen off every 10 minutes because they're picking up the phone uh and so that commitment to to the you know the coaching and commitment to i guess evolution revolving is is the you know the key component i think to um to saying like in this case, like you have the bandwidth to mm -hmm. now because of how good you guys are, you probably will always have some sort of lead time because of the labor intensity and intensity of it. But you should, I would think you would always want to be creating, trying to create bandwidth, bandwidth, bandwidth. I mean, Singer just had an investor come in and they bought like a million or I think it's a hundred thousand square foot facility. And so they have a hunt now singer went from building like one car at a time. It would take them three years to do it to now they have a hundred thousand square foot facility where they have, you know, 200 projects going on all at once with hopefully better quality. And, and the, I don't remember the, who the original singer guy was who's building the cars, but you get the point that they're likely building better quality because they brought in some CAD people who were better than the original guy at drawing. They brought in some, some upholstery people. And then eventually they become this place that's just so great to work that all talent wants to come there. And so if you're the key talent, then you can leverage that as long as you're willing to commit to showing up to some goofy Wednesday. I'm using that example of the Wednesday meeting. It's a good example. That you show up with it. You're not late. You're not driving your car. You're not too important for your own personal growth. Um, and then you, next thing you know, it's not, you know, it's not seven months, it's six months. It's not six months, it's five months. It's not five months. Mm -hmm. And then you make some great video and it backs jumps back up to eight months. And then you respond by trying to hire some other people to get back to six months. And then, then eventually it ends up being at, you know, at 18 weeks and then it's nine weeks. And then you can take on new customers regularly. Now, if you're really successful, you'll always have a lead time. But if you start to take some focus, then you go from doing, you know, 4 million or 5 million or 10 million or 20 million to 30, you know, you go to doing more. The, question of course you also have to ask is you know how much is how much is enough you know how much mm -hmm. how much there probably is a point where your quality can only reach some critical mass number right where you know you maybe there's not enough talented people in the world to do what it is you do um but in most cases most that's that's um a lie that we tell ourselves Right. I don't know if your normal podcast is an hour long. We've probably gone way over. <laughs> I think we're on hour three, but uh, it's good. This is uh, yeah, this, this is, is interesting, and it's definitely a, a stretch for us out of the norm. No, it's really cool. We actually did a whole uh, little series in our first season about trying to design super budget systems to help not just you know our our mix our audiences installers. It's 
old school car audio guys that are getting back into it. It's people that are investing in their own systems, whether they're DIYers or, or using shops to do the work. And so we did this whole series on like, well, back then a couple of years ago, it was the $3,500 system mentality of, um, I think it was, it might've been car stereo review back in the day used to have that section where they, they have shops send in a system design for a certain car and they'd run them in and like you'd see what the different shops did for the same thing it was kind of that mentality to kind of see what people came up with so this is going to be a really cool thing that we'll we'll tout your e92 system design that was the biggest uh change in my business was i wanted only what i want Mm -hmm. and i wanted to sell only what i want and then i bought every cheap pressure washer that exists and i came to the conclusion that well, when I was 21, I wasn't buying this pressure washer or, you know, maybe 18 because by the time I was 21, I was balling out of control, you know, selling, selling, <laughs> selling car stereo, spent every penny of that. <laughs> but, but there was, I've realized that there's a progression in life, right? And, and we should really should enjoy that progression. You know, if you're, you're, you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth and you get a, you know, a, 488 Pista is your first car. You're going to be jaded. You're never going to. You're never going to really appreciate the the, the, the struggle, the ascent. Uh, and so, the biggest thing in my business, the biggest decision was, you know, I decided to sell a Karcher pressure washer with more base fittings and base gun, not what I'm using today. But the thesis was, what would young Matt Mormon have wanted? What would I have accepted? back because in the in the beginning i thought well i i'm just gonna wait wait till i can do the krenzla pressure washer i'm gonna wait till i can buy the forty thousand dollar utopia Moscone system but that's just not realistic what is the progression what is a system that would be acceptable to you at different where you're not sacrificing quality mm-hmm. at that level right like what would i do if i had 3500 bucks to spend on a system mm-hmm. you know that's the that's mm-hmm. the question right. and as long as you don't bombard them with 75 different choices like here's the here's the we call it basic 100%. advanced ultimate yeah. and that adds an element of 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 the ability to then hire some people to do those systems right and you're putting your you're putting your stamp you're putting your check you know before it leaves the door make sure it's maybe you're doing superior tuning on a on inferior products or whatever it ends up being um, that where people get a result where they're 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 blown away you know I had that with this goofy little hundred dollar pressure washer I can't believe this pressure wash could do this good of a job at foaming the car and could actually produce this much of a result at like 150 bucks. Well, the only reason it could do that is because we tuned it properly, set it up properly, put the right, right. fittings and accessories mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. So same same thing with, with, with the system. Yeah, you're adding a, a ton of value to something. And as long as the core product is is reasonably built and, and sustainable yeah. over time, then, yeah, you've got a good deal. But these are all things when we're th- we've kind of been jumping around between mm-hmm. detailed systems yeah. and business yeah. and life yeah. and that's <laughs> been a, I think a fun experience talking about it. But the the this concept of you you have I just keep looking at man I'm like just see this talent and like how do I how do I get my car done not in twelve months <laughs> but now you know yeah. how can we convert them to be never have that comment of I don't have enough time. You know, how do you convert it to, man, I can do whatever I want. I can go wherever I want, do whatever I want, whenever I want. 
and not be tied to the talent. The talent is a boat anchor around your mm-hmm. neck, you know, just hanging, <laughs> hanging off of your neck because you have the talent, you have all this knowledge, and 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 the difficulty is to include others in that. Because I tell you what, some of my worst days have been, oh my gosh, what am I gonna? What do I do? Like I don't have anything to do. Like I don't have a job. Like there's nothing for me. To, <laughs> like I'm worthless. I have nothing. Like everybody can do all of this talent I thought I had. Everybody else is doing it. I don't even need to be here. Like I've had days like that where I'm like, I'm not here. Man still needs a needs a conductor. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. Exactly. And the conductor has the most. You know, conductor is the highest paid in the orchestra. The conductor is the person that makes the whole thing happen. The conductor is who has the sheet, the music in front. No one can play anything without without them all together. If the violin's just going in the you know in the background, it doesn't. You know, the the the, the orchestra, the, the the piece doesn't happen. Right. But there's such an investment in all the behind the scenes that's required for you to show up at that Wednesday meeting on time in, you know, in you're in you're in it, you're investing in yourself. Uh, and so that's the, you know, I think that's the, that was the key message. I was, that was the big epiphany that looking yeah. back at how obsessed garage has happened is mm-hmm. things like that. And so I've gone through coaching. My coach has gone through coaching with like 50 other people. And I don't think a single one of them has done what I've done. Just not because I'm great, but because I listened, Mm -hmm. listened, executed, listened, executed, listened, fought a little, then eventually said, you know what? I've listened 10 times and it worked. Maybe I should just listen and stop biting. (laughs) And then, you know, but generally that, that, that one, once every 12 months, I'll fight them on something. And then, I'm like, you know what? Well, the other 37 times I listened, he was correct. So maybe I should listen again. It's been uh, it's been life changing for me too. Like tomorrow, like I, I don't normally stay up this late. I just do. I just won't do anything. I'm gonna grow on. So so with your with your podcast, with the YouTube page, with the Facebook group, with everything else you got going on, what would you say is the most useful sense of your time? Right. Cause you have, everyone has bandwidth, right? Everyone has, everyone has to prioritize how they use their bandwidth. Right. Prioritization, right. The most important thing that I can do is to, um, organize a proverbial drawer. So I've gotten ahead of myself the last few years in that I was worried about if I found a product that I liked and I knew others would like it and I want to talk about it, I would go right to that. Mm-hmm. Instead of buying the product, putting it in the drawer, I share the, per- the process of me buying the product, I share the process of me breaking it or doing it wrong and putting it in my proverbial drawer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I share the process of me then figuring out, okay, maybe I bought kind of the wrong color or wrong thing. Let me shift some things around. I share the process of all of that without fear that somebody's going to steal my idea. So the most important thing that I can do is organize this drawer in my desk and share that process. And at the end of the day, um, I probably have some product that I can then sell that can then change some part of the marketplace. That's what I did in the very beginning. Um, And then 
I've, I've been very focused on creating an end-to-end solution for the garage so that I could do every part and piece and design a garage from start to finish. Now that I have that, and now that I've turned all the activities of like building the website and all these things we've been talking about, gotten that off my plate, my most important thing is to organize a drawer and share it with the audience because that's what I like doing the most. So perhaps patience, which is the hardest thing to uphold when you're passionate. Right. It's hard to slow down. So I'm slowing down to speed up. Yeah. Right. Which is really, really freaking hard for me to do. Um, I'm very impulsive. uh, And so I like to do things like right now. I like to do things. I always like to do things 18 months too soon. So Matt, can you run through the list of what's in the garage one more time? So I have a, we know the E92. Well, right now, right now I have a, a, a 2013 E92 M3. I have a, um, which is a really special car. I bought it from EAG. It had 800 miles on it. I paid 120,000 bucks for it for a, you know, a $50,000 car. This is such a one of a kind thing. So it's no navigation manual, um, competition package. It was like the 60th last built 2013. So it's a really special car. Um, I have, um, I have an E36 M3, so a, a Technoviolet E36, but that'll be a giveaway car in the fall. I have a 2011 997.2 GT3 RS. That's a giveaway car in June. I have the, um, um, the 992 Touring. So the 2022, you know, Brewster Green Touring, uh, GT3 Touring. Uh, I have the Raptor, you know, the Gen 2 Raptor, which is Michelle. So that's, she, she drives that. It's the best family vehicle ever. Ford F, F-150 is the crew cab. It's the best family vehicle ever. And I have a Rivian R1T coming. And then, and then for the Helen house, I have a Cayman um, GTS 4.0 that'll be a, you know, a car up there. That has a Burmester, which I, I think is pretty decent for a factory stereo. You know, it's good enough for, for, for a rental car. Um <laughs> But really, I have the E92 and the 92 Touring. Those are like the two cars. All the others will come and go. But the so the E92 will be staying with me theoretically for a really long time. Um, I don't care about resale value. So I'm not worried about the I just don't want to tear it apart uh, because it is so nice and clean. I've learned my lesson about tearing cars apart and they never go back together quite the same. Um, But that's what the, the E92 would be something that I would really love to have a great stereo in. Um, same thing with, um, with, you know, I love, I love having a stereo in a GT3 because there's such crappy factory stereos. It's such a great car for driving around. It is. It is. Everybody talks about track car. It's a bunch of nonsense. It's the best street car ever. Dude, it's amazing. I'll, I'll tell you right now, the GT3 that I did that you probably saw at some point on Obsessed Garage where we did the carbon fiber resin infused enclosure, that car you could legitimately drive down the street playing the audio system and you have no idea that this car has any kind of engine on the planet, right? Like you can't even hear the engine if you wanted to. But at the same point, if you wanted to, you could then turn down the audio system and have the full experience of a GT3. Mm-hmm. And what always tilts yep. me, and I don't know how I don't know how you decipher through all the the comments of YouTube and all the the filth and trash that is the comments but like for some people they would just comment like you know the amount of weight that you've added to this gt3 rs is just incomprehensible right and in my head i'm just like all right so you're taking 
a, a lightweight Asian male and converting him to like an American male, right? That's really the <laughs> yeah. difference, which is yep. the audio system, but nobody even thinks about it and puts it in that perspective. The car is still getting down. It's still fast as hell. It's not like it's not fast, but at the same point, yeah. it then- The GT3 is then, such a weird car because people, people believe that it should only be driven on the track, but those yeah. are only like people who don't have one and are never gonna get one. The GT3, especially the RS, like they've stripped every ounce of weight from that car and that's what makes it so loud. But at the same time, there might be an enthusiast who wants that car, but at the same time wants it to sound good. It's still gonna mm -hmm. be fast. It's not gonna be slow. It's not gonna be slower than a traditional 911, but at the same time, it's gonna sound like a studio and it's still gonna be fast. Yeah. Like there's- You get the best of both worlds. Right. You turn the stereo off and, you know, and let it rip, or you can turn it on and mask all the, you know, all the vibrating and the, you know, all the nonsense that's going on. <laughs> right, and I would get it, I would get it too, if you added an audio system and it looked like crap, and it just didn't do any respect to the, to oh, the sure. Porsche yeah, name, yeah. right? But, because we've seen that all the mm -hmm. time. But if you see something that you've taken the time to, resin infuse the carbon fiber in the subwoofer enclosure to make it as lightweight as possible. Like at some point you just have to respect that, right? <laughs> some, some will, some won't. The car that I really want you to do for me is I'm gonna, I want a 16, a 2016 RS and I want to put a crazy stereo in that. I want that to be my mountain car uh, where I could just go rip the mountain roads. And then occasionally when you're in between roads and you have this amazing audio experience that you can turn on, I mean, that's the car that I really want to do is a, is a 991 RS um, and, and, and just do a great stereo. So I can, you know, like I say, in between, in between the, the, the roads, you turn it off when you're on Richard yeah. B. Russell or the Cherry Hollow Skyway and you, you, you turn it when you're in between those roads, and you're driving down the, you know, the Smoky Mountain Parkway or whatever, you turn the stereo on and just put the windows up and. It just gives you like cruising USA vibes, like the old Nintendo 64 yep. game. Like <laughs> if you want to drive it, you can drive it. But if you just want to enjoy it for the tunes, like the sheer volume of road noise and engine noise doesn't even factor in. Like it doesn't even yeah. create a dent in the audio. Yeah, but people in general just, you know, they're, they're not, um, they don't understand, like even things that I'm not, if, if you don't have a lot of passion in life, mm -hmm. then you don't, you can't recognize it, yeah. right? You can't recognize great. If you're, if you're regular, then great just passes by you all the time and you can't see it. And so, you know, I like to think that I, you know, I'm not into watches, but I know what a great watch is just mm -hmm. by seeing it. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not into guns, but I know what a great gun is when I see it. Um, or if somebody even just takes two minutes to explain it, you're explaining to me an, you know, an auto, uh, an, an audible experience that I probably haven't experienced in a car ever before. Mm -hmm. Um, the, you know, I've experienced some pretty gnarly two channel setups in the house. So like where, you know, entire buildings were built inside a building. So that might still win the, the argument, it, but it won't, it won't. I, I, get, I, I, I know what you're listen, saying. Like, I, I promise <laughs> you, listen, I've sat in Focal, I've been to France, listen to the Focal Grand Utopias in their listening room. And I will say 10 times out of 10, 
that the best car audio system will obliterate that experience. Obliterate okay. well, it. Because I, I it, comes down, it, it comes down to the amount of dynamic range that you can achieve in a car versus mm -hmm. a physical room, right? To do the same thing in a room that big, you would need millions of dollars of audio equipment done correctly to achieve the same experience that you can get in a small confines of a car the same way. Hmm. Yeah. Doing doing 140 dB while sounding good in a in a uh, large room is yeah. not not yeah. an easy not task. Really, not yeah, very un un um, uncommon, very unrealistic. And like hmm. I said, keep in mind there are people that spend 80k on an audio system that when I deliver the car, right? Like picture you spending 80k, then sitting in the car, you have an absurd expectation to what you're about to experience, right? Spending yeah. 80K, you're expecting something unbelievable. And to exceed that expectation with each one of those clients is like a huge feat to have to overcome. But the, the thing there is, is most people, even the people that have half million dollar in home, home two channel audio, haven't experienced audio the same way based on the dynamic range. So on that note, how do we get you to do more of them? <laughs> and apparently I got to fly down to Orlando to figure that out. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't have to do that. You, we just, we'll just connect you with Rick and he'll start working on you forever. So, yeah. so I do an audio system for you. And the first two or three tracks that you're playing, what are they? I've been really into Chris Stapleton lately. Okay. Just so weird because I'm not a, a hate country, right? But I've been kind of getting into um, like real man country where it's not like that stupid twangy and it's not like the razzle got nonsense country stuff. But I'm a huge perfect circle guy. So I would probably put you know, on when the levee breaks on the, uh, I think it's the Norms album. Um so something a perfect circle, something from Chris Stapleton. And Gary's writing this down, and, right? And then, yep. you, and you'd probably just go with regular old, you know, Pink Floyd something or other, you know, just like Pink Floyd the Wall or something like that. That's a look at my. Yeah, we keep a we have a Spotify playlist for all the mm. things that each guest would then play on their. Yeah, let me i'll give you the songs then let me pull up uh i'm a big i'm a title big title fan i like title yep. yeah chris stapleton cold another brick in the wall mm -hmm. and perfect circle buying down the river those would be my three favorite you know three songs got it but then i also love like you know female vocalists so i'm a big sarah Borales fan mm -hmm. so i'd probably pull some of that out too yeah, Chris Stapleton has an NPR tiny desk. So next time you're in your BMW, throw your phone on mm -hmm. the center of your dashboard, connect to Bluetooth on your factory radio. And if what you're seeing isn't exactly representation on what you're feeling of where the audio is coming from on your dash, you know it's trash. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got I got another one for you, Matt. I just watched last night on Tiny Desk was um Master Ace, you were saying you were old school rap guy. Um, 
Master Ace does some like I, it blew me away. I was it was a big surprise as I was just kind of like letting him play last night. I don't even know what you're talking about. Done. NPR Tiny Desk. It's a YouTube channel, or you got to do it. So NPR Tiny Desk. They actually have a lot of sound engineers that record the audio extracted by artists recording in real time in a library or wherever they're recording. I, I believe it's in the NPR, it like in the office area at NPR. So and so it's literally yeah, so like instance, they Matt, have bookshelves like, yeah, set yeah, up. So they'll have mics set up throughout the whole array, right? So if you see the lead singer in the center, that's where exactly you're hearing that person sing if there's a guy on a saxophone like left center that's exactly where you should hear them in your car right, or yeah. in your home if there's an electric guitar far right that's exactly where you should hear that guitar is it like 192.24 or something that like is a is it like so high res audio or it's not necessarily like high res but at the same time like it's recorded you know, I, I'll always say better than half the fucking artists record on their album. You'll search like Leon Bridges and his stuff sounds so amazing. And then you download the album and it sounds nothing like the NPR Tiny Desk. They do I'll such a better never, job. Yeah, uh, yeah Adele's uh, Tiny Desk sounds better than her albums. Oh, wow. Like it's their recording guys in a big room did a better job. I, I can't oh. tell you how many times that I take a client. I set them in the car. We start off with the Astell and Kern, the $3,700 audio player. We play a bunch of songs and they're amazed. But there's something to be said for seeing how it's recorded. Because you're seeing the, the phone in the center of your dashboard, say it's Usher, and you hear the subwoofer sound unlike any time you've ever heard a subwoofer, period. Mm. Right? So the extension of the subwoofer sounds exactly like this dude playing the drums or the bass guitar like you can't even comprehend the difference and and i think that part of that is also combining the video with it and having this like visual it just makes more yeah. sense having the visual representation than just shutting your eyes in a car and and right and you hear stage. the backup singers to the far like you're watching it and you understand the backup singers are to the far right so that's helping you critically listen. So you're sitting yeah. there and you're like, you're almost trying to prove it wrong. And you're like, all right, let's try and hear the backup singers to the, to the left. And you can't do it. They're perfectly to the back right. You're giving the proof of concept to understand that the stage presence and the tuning of this car is perfect. Mm. I'll check it out. And like I said, when, when you check it out, you put it over. in your car yeah. and you hear the backup <laughs> singers coming on the left and the right, then you're like, wow, there's so much more to it to be achieved here. NPR Tiny Desk yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. Chris Stapleton yeah. has, he does a set on there. Obviously, there there's a great one from Sting and Shaggy. There's a great one from Leon Bridges. There's a great one from Usher, Alicia Keys, hmm. Anderson Pack. And like I said, when you're listening to all this stuff, you see exactly where it's being recorded and where the mics are set up. So if it's not right in your car, you know your car is wrong. Hmm. Or or your home is wrong. Yeah. And even when we were at Expo, the first thing that I did when I sat in the cars, because people at least have a little bit of respect for me, I, 
you know, they were like, play whatever you want to play. So I put on NPR Tiny Desk because it doesn't lie. So I throw it on the dash and mm-hmm. even the people listening to what that was, never experiencing it, were like, what the fuck is happening right now? Like, this sounds better than everything <laughs> that I'm playing for everyone sitting in the car. <laughs> That's cool. It is Check it out. It is cool. You ever done a three and a half hour podcast? A few Couple. times, yeah. yeah. And the funny thing is, Matt, like... I would say the longer podcasts that we do get almost a hundred percent retention on the entire podcast. So the the longest podcast that we've done, people have listened to in a higher percentage than the shorter podcast. It's probably because um, like if we stayed in it, like if you stayed in it with somebody, you were interested enough to keep going. Yeah. I don't think I've ever done, I've done a lot of live streams. Like I've done like full day live streams, a couple of those. those <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, just run it all day, like polishing all day kind of thing. Um, and But I, I think this is probably the longest podcast I've ever done. Yeah, like I said, we've always done yeah. organic. When it ends, it ends. When it, it is what it is. Yeah. I must be but dehydrated because yeah. you know, I haven't had to go to the bathroom at all, yeah. so I'm done all right. I've had to go twice. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> well, you, you were smart and brought some water. I didn't even bring any. I'm like, well, <laughs> that's good because I won't have to go to the bathroom. No, but like like oh. I said, I, I, I knew going into this that it was going to be good because one, you have a great business sense, right? So no matter what, even if a majority of what you have to do and relate to isn't necessarily car audio, it has to do a lot with the key demographic of people listening. So whether it's the enthusiasts that love nice shit, you can relate to that. And there's a whole side of the industry that they're not tied into if they don't know who you are or what you do, right? And then on the same part of that is there's a demographic of installers or people in our industry that also don't know what you do, but also have ties into our industry, right? Cause you kind of started out in the same point of everyone else, but you just kind of diverted into a different mm-hmm. aspect, but you've also pivoted and compounded your knowledge into accelerating to the next level. And well, in many ways, I envy all of you that stayed the course, you stayed the path, you <laughs> developed the body and you've all, you know, many, many, probably many people listening have developed their niche of expertise of whatever that is. And I, I've, I feel like a trader, you know, I feel like I, like I left the hat again, I left the happy to chase the money, you know, and I probably would have had more money had I stayed in the happy, if you will. I um, promise you, you and- wouldn't. So I'm glad you did what you did. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You know, maybe, I guess it depends on how, how it all worked out. But, um, I would, um, uh, my one ask to you guys is that you take this podcast um, and like make a really great post and put it in the, in the Facebook group. Cause I think it'll help, you know, add some context to mm-hmm. part of my love for car audio and the whole thing. And then, um, it'll also get, um, a lot of people excited about, you know, seeing some of these systems you're talking about. And like I said, I have a lot of respect for your page because again, I know the people that are in it. Yeah. I've obviously gotten a lot of clients from it, but at the same point, like, there is a lot to be learned by a lot of things that are posted. And in today's climate of Facebook, 
there's so many things that people just won't allow you to post, right? But at the same time, mm -hmm. like if you're posting it to that group, there might be a lot to learn from that post. And some people are just like yeah, taking it down because like it's either self-promotion or whatever. But at the end of the day, anything that I've ever posted in like Obsessed Garage, there's not like links to buy stuff and all this kind of shit. It's just to show what's capable of modern day audio in a nice car done correctly. Like that's how I've always posted. My guess is you're not skimping on those posts. And just like we were talking about those inquiries and how you can tell mm -hmm. how much passion somebody has and, and how much they're actually interested in having you do work for them shows through in their emails and their right, correspondence. Right. And I'm sure your, your posts are the same way, Matt, you, you definitely right. know it how to showcase yeah, your work very well. It shows that the person posting cares about what is coming across yeah. to the audience. You get people that are just cutting and pasting and trying to promote themselves. Let me just promote it everywhere. That yeah. I hate that stuff. Yeah. I had one guy yeah. tell me um, he was a detailer and uh, he also selling some product, you know, he sells some products. And um, he told me, um, I said, you know, look, I, I love it that you guys post. I don't even care if you're competing with me, but I want you to contribute. So make contribution posts where you're talking about a product and you don't even need to post a link. They'll just look you up. They'll click on your name. They'll look at, you know, they'll look at, you'll find your bit. They'll find you. And those are the customers you want anyway. Mm -hmm. You don't want the layups. You don't want the easy. And he said, well, I don't have time to do that. <laughs> and you should, you know, your he was basically telling me that, well, your group wasn't started in that sense. So I should be allowed to promote this because what I have is better than what you're selling. And so, you know, he was basically telling me that in, it's supposed to be like this democracy. I, said, I told him this isn't a freaking democracy. It's a dictatorship. It's my dictatorship. <laughs> and uh, you can promote all day long as long as you provide value to the people. Right, and then people, right. people will be smart. You don't have to post links. You don't have to post prices. You don't have to post all that kind of, you know, simple, lazy stuff. You just need like people post their YouTube video like. No, if you, but if you wrote three paragraphs, I'll leave your YouTube video up there all day because you're, you're contributing. You're saying, Hey, I think this might be a value to people. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, the moderators, it's, it's taken me some time to, you know, teach people that, that what, to, what to leave and what not to leave. But, you know, you go in there and you put a little bit of effort in and you post, you know, who you are and what you're about um, by putting that little bit of effort in. you don't have to link anything. Mm -hmm. It just happens. Yeah. That's always been my argument. But he's like, I don't I don't have time to do that work. I'm too busy working. I said, well, I had time to build it. I have time to moderate it. I have time to <laughs> grow this audience. I have time to make all these videos. And then you have to, you don't have time to come in and leverage all of that. So get out of here. You're not allowed here. You know, it's, it's, so there are people like that, that, that that's why they get deleted because they don't want to put in any effort. They just want to take the takers of the world or something I don't have any time for. <laughs> And so the group has been good because of that in general. So for the that, people listening, join Obsessed Garage Facebook group. Join yeah. Dialed In Podcast, right? Yeah, I usually do it uh, every Friday. You know, as long as I'm in town, you do it every Friday. And, you know, choose you know, like an hour, hour and a half. It's just people asking me. It's a very detailing heavy, um, but it's also, you know, I'm ranting on whatever, like the, <laughs> was the last rant I was doing about people get me going all the time but you ever watch hgtv that like um um it's the show uh house hunters mm -hmm. 
my argument was that you should have like good looking people looking at fancy houses, not fatzos <laughs> looking at $120,000 dumps. You know, and then you would get, that's what people want to see. They want to see something nice, not junk. I was freaking out about that. <laughs> this is why I only have 300,000 subscribers because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit um, polarizing for gosh. And sakes. then Obsessed Garage on YouTube. Is there any other right. channels? Yeah, Instagram, you... Facebook. Just If you just Google Obsessed Garage, you'll find me everywhere. So, you know, you have Instagram. Do you do Facebook, anything on TikTok? Uh, no. Um, I feel like I that's a blind spot. I feel like that's a what? little bit of a blind spot. I found that TikTok is just so engaging when it comes to being able to edit content, right? So if you're shooting something from your phone, you can edit five videos into a final product and just put it out on TikTok that's three, four minutes, and you get a lot of engagement. I struggle with TikTok because it's it's shaky ground. Um, first of all, the data is unreliable. That's nonsense. There's no way that there's there aren't 150 million users in the U.S. using TikTok. It's nonsense. Fifty um, percent of the United States is not using TikTok. Fifty percent of the people I know aren't using TikTok. So their numbers are nonsense. Okay. So when you say you get a million views, you probably got like a hundred thousand. You know, so it's about ten to one. They know that Americans love numbers. They know that okay. Americans love followers, and so they're creating and they're adding, you know, bot-related spikes of, of views. That's very clear. But the, the the issue of TikTok, you build your house on that land. That land is real shaky. Um, there's a high probability that TikTok doesn't exist. Likely not, but there's still a, a good percentage, 10, 15, 20 percent, that TikTok gets, you know, shut down. Um, so I've just not wasted any time. I, I don't like TikTok and I don't like to be on platforms that I don't like to frequent because then it becomes a job to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I love Instagram. I like Facebook a lot. I love YouTube. Uh, and so if I'm going to put some effort into something, I don't like Twitter. You know, so Twitter is not interesting. I'm not on Twitter personally very often. So to do the to utilize Twitter or TikTok or platforms that I'm not interested in um, is is would be like contrived and it would be a job for me. So if you know if you if it sounds like TikTok works for you and you like using it, then it's probably a good platform. But well, TikTok, I've avoided it. TikTok works for me want... when I post like laser radar integration videos, and everyone mm. argues in the comments. Therefore, it <laughs> helps the algorithm. And then all of a sudden I get like, you know, 200 inquiries in my Instagram because it's linked to TikTok and people mm -hmm. then comment and ask questions of like, hey, what's the system in this car, blah, blah, blah. I do think about how much for a Valentine <laughs> one installed. I hope that I, I hope I don't regret my lack of desire for, for um, you know, lack of use of, of TikTok. But but there is shaky grounds with TikToks. Obviously, they're right now in the yeah, Supreme I mean, Court right now arguing. Of, yeah. 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 Right now, they're right in front of Congress, you yeah. know, with some, you know, some shill who's clearly, you know, they, you know, he's an actor. He's yeah, really he's, not. He's not yeah. answering any questions. The whole thing is shady. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah, TikTok might not exist tomorrow. So, yeah, I mean, but just because of the sheer amount of people using it, it's unlikely that they'll shut it down. But there is a possibility that yeah. that can happen, especially if they do f get like proof that you know it's freaking Chinese spyware. But yeah, but from um, a creator standpoint, I think what I enjoy about it is that I can take 
10 cuts of video as a video editor from my phone and then edit that into a finished video versus taking 10 cuts of video from my Sony 4K cam and editing that in Final Cut Pro yeah. to create a video. Yeah, a lot more work. Yeah. yeah. Well, I really appreciate it. this. This is a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed this this conversation. I knew I would and get to talk about audio and well, talk <laughs> about myself. It's always fun to talk about myself, you know. <laughs> so I've got pretty good at telling the story uh, because I've done you know a lot of these things where um you know, and every time I tell it I learn something about myself. It, mm-hmm. That's what I found is that when when you tell your story, it's quite therapeutic and you sort of figure things out about why things happen and how things happen and doing a podcast, you know, dedicated toward car audio has made me really you know, think about things a little differently. And mm-hmm. I found that I was always so afraid to tell my story because it you know, comes across as self-serving or narcissistic. And I found that when I stopped caring about that and really just sharing my story, sharing my testimony, it's, it's really helpful to me, you know, psychologically, it's helped me overcome mm-hmm. some of my, you know, some of my hangups and it's really opened up the world. And so I, I would encourage everybody to, you know, don't be afraid of looking like a jerk, you know, looking like a you know, narcissist when you know, sometimes just getting out of your own head and sharing your story can really ingratiate you to two new people that I didn't know personally that now, you know, we, I'm sure we, you know, we, we have a, you know, a lot in common that maybe we didn't know we had. So, and we wouldn't know that if we weren't sharing, you know, sharing stories and sharing testimonies. So, but I will say that you probably have the ultimate success story of anyone that started out in car audio or audio period to be able to scale that into what you've been able to achieve with Obsessed Garage. Because again, there's so many people that are listening that know your product, but also don't know your product, but at the same time, understand how much of what you do is an essential part of what their life is that they didn't mm-hmm. know they had before until now they're going to dive into now after this podcast, obsessed garage, Matt Mormon, and then seeing stuff that you have to offer and then understanding that it resonates so much with them. Yeah. We got to get some garages. We got to get rid of new age cabinets and um, got to get rid of crappy lighting and that kind of stuff. <laughs> get the doors dialed in and organized and, Make sure your paint isn't all scratched up. Yeah. We can help you do that. Stop going to car shows and wiping your car down with a single microfiber dial. We'll, we'll teach you how to do a lot of stuff. Yeah. So. <laughs> so if you had the Matt Schaefer, Matt Mormon combination experience, your car would be amazing. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to have all of my cars Matt Schaefered, and then it's taken care of. <laughs> no, it was just a lot of fun. Them right to Delhi. There you go. Have to Schedule early for one of those giveaway cars. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad to have met you guys. I appreciate the time, and I guess I'll uh, see you soon. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. We appreciate Obviously, this was a, a long evening for you, and um, I guess it is tomorrow already out there. Yeah. Or close. Oh, wow. All right, fellas. We'll, catch, we'll be in touch, and maybe we'll get on the schedule. Um, we'll start saving my saving my pennies so I can do a $40,000 stereo. Yeah, save those pennies. Awesome. Good night. <laughs>